Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 3 of the Real Deep Cuts podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing the 2013 knockoff Atlantic Rim. Afterwards, we'll have some general film discussion of things regarding news, physical media, and things we watch throughout the week. My name is Raymond. And my name is Jeremy. And my name is Richard. I hope everyone is doing well. Um, this week was as eventful as last week, I would say. Me and Rich went to a party yesterday night. Uh, but other than that, um, I hope everyone else is doing well. I hope you guys watched the few movies other than the list that we had, which was Atlantic Rim, Pacific Rim, and I believe Mulholland Drive. So those are our three main films And Blue today. Velvet. You and Blue Velvet. Extra well, lynch, I mean, extra yeah, lynch inch. Extra, yeah, that's true. That's true. Jared, how'd your week go, man? Anything interesting? Um, pretty, pretty busy week, I guess. I mean, had a lot of projects. Personal, mm. both personal and work projects kind of piled up on me. And on top of that, it's just been getting hot as fuck over here. So if you if you know it's hot in Colorado, then it's definitely hot over there where you guys are. What's hot for hell you, yeah. Um, 91, but I don't want to hear it because I don't have AC. That is, dude, that, it's basically right. the same weather over here. It was like it highest 91. Not, it, is not, it is not basically the same weather. Yeah, it is. Look, well, the same not. like temperature. We're not going to be measuring weather dicks over here okay the point is i'm fucking miserable all right okay second point i did go out yesterday huh oh you did (laughs) what Uh, go ahead anyway i went i'm I'm being petty (laughs) (laughs) this guy's like oh it's way hotter over here it's fucking not the same sometimes you know sometimes you know there's always somebody who's got it worse and Oh my god! You don't always have it so bad. As you What'd know. you do last night, Jer? Let's let's move on from this. Um, well, <laughs> last night I didn't do anything. I stayed and I had to watch. I did my Lynch double feature, but um, oh, during okay. the day I, I tried to beat the heat just by being outside, I suppose, which makes sense when you don't have AC in a, an apartment. So, um, all right, I went yeah. out. Did went to this little museum thing. I went to Old Town, Colorado, and uh, it was nice. I got myself some iced coffee and. Uh, just walked around and soaked up the sun, I guess. And uh, yeah, um, I don't have anything else to add, so let's get right yeah, into it. Well, yeah, let's just get into Atlantic Rim. Atlantic Rim is from 2013, directed by Jared Cohn, and there's only 3.6K views on Letterboxd. Quick synopsis. When monsters suddenly appear from the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, a special team pilots giant robots to combat the new threat. That was like a tongue twister right there in the last five, six words. But this is basically a knockoff of Pacific Rim. And that's pretty fair to say after watching that. And that's telling. So let's go with initial thoughts on this film. I have very few to say, but it's pretty, um, I don't know if it's vulgar words, but I feel deeply disrespected after watching this film. I'm just going to come out and say... I didn't think it would be it would take only three episodes to hit a point where I was questioning what the fuck I was doing with exactly. My life I did. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it was. I, it was, is. It's very very awful. Yeah. It really I like. I and you know we talk we joke about microwaving your brain, but this one I really just shut yeah. my brain in the microwave. Beep beep beep. Mm-hmm. For mm-hmm. eighty five minutes, and uh, like death. And it, this movie is 85 minutes, which is insanely short, and it was still 30 minutes too long. <laughs> I mean, like, it's, that's it true. sucks that's, that's because accurate. I've only seen the clips for this on YouTube, and that's all this movie should ever be. It's just a clip from YouTube yeah. because 
anything more than that, all that shit in between. It's it's so long and drawn out and boring and just aimless. Oh my uh, god, yes. Yeah, I mean other than I, the like horrendous performances which is expected for something like this and also like the actors they picked didn't even feel right for the roles they were in like yeah. there was no effort the like scenes inside of a fucking like you know NASA headquarters looked like some college Dude. room they were <laughs> like, like an office like space. Yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. doing like intense computer work on like a desktop computer it wasn't even like a giant computer <laughs> like they would do and like it was not even complicated it just looked like they were in like a staples or something and like working there it was just i don't even know but i mean it's a self-aware film so it's self-aware we'll get into like this kind of movie and the future of the yeah. podcast and where we're headed with you know these kinds of films but um, you know, I didn't hate the whole thing. I'd say there's probably like a collective five minutes of actual pure enjoyment. Like, uh, there's, a, there's a few laughs in there, but for it's sure. definitely outweighed by all the other dog shit that comes yeah. with this film. I thought by the beginning, I was like, okay, this could be fun. You know, I see the really shitty fake oil spill and the horrible acting, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, the, the effects are trash. This could be fun, but. When I saw Graham Greene in this movie, first of all, I was like, what the fuck is Graham Greene doing in this? Like, this guy is like a pretty, you know, heavyweight, like Native American actor. He plays uh, Kicking Bird, I think, in um, Dances with Wolves. And, mm. you know, he's like, he's a big name actor. I recognize him immediately, but like, holy shit, seeing him in this movie was like the perfect representation of how I felt watching it. He just looked so bored. So yeah. just like, what? am I fucking doing here and reading his lines like like the most wooden lifeless just like I'm just coming here for the paycheck and yet they're still not paying me enough so I'm just gonna like not even give a shit it wasn't even phoning it in it was absolutely just... talking it in it was fucking paging it in uh yeah he was honestly I felt like most of that movie was done on the first take I just oh I can't yeah imagine no that doubt. movie took longer than a month to shoot Mm-hmm. as i stated in my review it feels like a porn parody but nobody fucks it just has that yeah. like quality of like i guess this is like making fun of pacific rim trying to but trying to have some level of like you know recreating but pacific rim but not really and the actors are backdoor actors yeah. good looking and it was just like i don't know um it was a pretty soul-sucking experience yeah uh, i was... feel about the story fucking horrible dude there is no story like what the fuck was going on half the time like i was like we were they were battling monsters from the sea basically like pacific rim and then all of a sudden they're in new orleans like you know the fucking city is just thrashed right and then one of them i think the girl it was tracy i believe was her name she had a gun like what the fuck did you need that gun for unless there were like riots around the the city it was just so odd the whole introduction to those two characters what, it was his just, name it's is it is it ray or two no no it's red the main red. character is red and then okay the um, his partner uh the girl is tracy and then the what's the guys, i made it like a, a point to not remember it's like blue right that's his name or something yeah it was oh my god I'm sorry dude. i had another tab open but um what is it? Just the way that they introduce them, you know, again, like they're at Mardi Gras and they're like throwing beads and the most PG <laughs> Weenie Hut Jr. depiction of Mardi Gras. Yeah. And then they and then they somehow just wander off into a back alley, like, you know, holding hands. And there's just a, 
a fight that breaks out over i think it was a shoulder bump that happened and it was like the so least threatening guy ever too shoulder it was just bump. like a stoner like some stoner would, i like, like the guy with the chain happened. though the guy with that the guy chain. just happened to have a chain like out of nowhere like what I the hell like was that. he doing was with the chain like, all right cool <laughs> You kind of reminded me of like the um, the Watchmen alleyway fight scene, where <laughs> the fucking Night Owl and Spectre like fight all those goons randomly and like oh, break man. their bones like so gruesomely. Just yeah, it was like it was like the you know the low budget version of that scene. Yeah, in Watchmen. Um, it was it was painful, man. I was watching Stranger Things like four or five episodes straight, and I was enjoying my time. And I was like, you know what? I got to do this because I got to, you know, figure it out. And I wasn't excited to watch it at first, but I gave it a shot. And then not even five minutes in the movie, I was like, wow, I really stopped watching Stranger Things for this. And it was just, <laughs> it was, I don't know, man, it was painful. Yeah. Um, there's nothing redeemable about this film in any way, shape or form. The story does not make sense. The characters are just bland and annoying, especially the main character. Um, what was the actor, the, the Native American guy? Like the Graham Green, dude, Graham dude, that Green. guy, he was like the highlight of the film, and he, like you said, he was just bored because <laughs> he's the only actual actor. But like, yeah, he he's the only actual on the actor brink of ending it all. You know, the there was a there, actually this, one yeah. guy that wasn't an actor. You know, it wasn't a big actor, but what's his name? It was uh, I can't find him here. It was like Geis. I think that was his name in the the guy with the eye patch. That oh, guy, I swear oh that guy. I'll I'll give that guy credit. Tom Brady or Brady or something like that. That guy actually tried. I felt like everybody else just kind of you know jerked (laughs) around. Think I I can say that? (laughs) That guy at least just laid it all out there. You know, if you're gonna be in this piece of like you know enormous shit, I know what you mean. Yeah, that guy just didn't hold back anything, and I guess. But even I was looking at that guy like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, shit. Like I I get it. That guy realized where he was exactly, and that's honestly what this movie didn't have was effort. There, there was no effort, yeah. You're telling me those effects with those jagged, sparkling pixels on the Jaeger things are not impressive, yeah. dude? Oh so my it's not God, even that. Dude. It's not even that. Like, that's not the problem that I have with the effort. Like, yeah, that looks, you know, terrible. But my problem is when they're parking their, you know, enormous Jaegers, like cars, just randomly, and they're just on the ground. They don't show them get out of it or anything. There's no green screen attempt. There's nothing. Like, at least in Captain Alex they tried utilizing everything they could, you know, especially a green screen. Even if it looks shitty, it doesn't matter. But the fact that these people just show up out of their Jaegers, literally the second after you see them in a Jaeger just doesn't make sense. Uh, not There's no again, charm to this movie, really. There's yeah, no it's charm. just, it's they There's just not. didn't care enough to at least, you know, because it's just going to be, I don't know, they just have a low shot facing up at them. Yeah. And it's just them standing up and we're just supposed to assume that, they're stepping on top of their Jaeger or they're on the ground all of a sudden. It was, that's kind of my problem with this movie. The most, I, and this, like, there's I shitty mean, movies out there that, you know, try a lot harder than Yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like this world would have been a better place if this movie was not made. Like this was just an unnecessary <laughs> film. It was disgusting. Like I'm kind of, I'm really actually offended that we watched this film and <laughs> I can't yeah, really say anything other than it. that. Someone's got to do it, you know? Um, we're heroes, you know. Fucking. Oh my gosh. We watched. Yeah, this movie one of the three point six heroes. Hero. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would say that. I mean, there were there was no effort really, even with the dialogue, the writing, like 
there yeah. could have been some jokes and puns in there if you, if you were self-aware, but a lot of the writing was so bland. It just felt like a screenwriter trying to fill a word count, like so basic. Yeah. There's nothing mm-hmm. there. It's just like, we need to infiltrate the blah, blah, blah. And the president says, blah, blah, blah. And we got to do the blah, blah. It was not, there was no life to anything really. There was very few moments that there was an effort to make it fun, which really bothered me. If you're going to make a movie like this, you know, Obviously, we're talking about lack of effort. The Navy, like the naval footage, the stock footage of the city, like they didn't even, I get it, it's a low budget, but like they didn't even go on site to like a military base. They just use, clearly use like shitty low res stock footage for a lot of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was one scene that actually kind of made me laugh, I guess, at the absurdity, the dark absurdity of it, which was when they, after the first battle, and they're standing in like outside this building and there's all these corpses on the ground, which like, first of all, it doesn't look, it doesn't look like a, the, the waste of a monster battle. It looks like, you know, a, a terrorist attack yeah. aftermath, like all these bodies lying on the ground and, and they, you know, they're standing like right over them. There's really like very little like emotion, like, Oh my God, look at all these people we failed. They just immediately jump into a conversation like he's talking about how badass his fight with the monster was like, oh, yeah, yeah, and then I gave him an uppercut and blah, 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 and I did this. It was so, and he's literally standing over a pile of corpses that are just like <laughs> sitting there like all that are obviously all just like, you know, actors paid to lie there with shitty fake blood. But mm-hmm. it, it was kind of it was kind of, you know, I guess maybe that was an attempt at humor. I found it kind of funny, but, you know, very little moments like that that really uh, redeemed sh- anything for me mm-hmm. you know and the, the battles the way they are inside the cockpit like in pacific rim you know there's like an effort obviously much higher oh, yeah. budget and all that but like you get the sense that they're really you know using their weight their like actual you know momentum as in and their swings and mm-hmm. when they're fighting like they're actually using their whole body to exert this force and in this one it's like they're like swatting at a f- fly with like no swatter like that's their movements it's just so like you know stupid like it looked terrible <laughs> and so i don't know i mean there's a point in the end of this movie where somebody's pointing a gun at graham green and he's just staring at it with like zero emotion and i'm like dude i know graham <laughs> green is praying the guy pulls the trigger and blows his head off because so he doesn't have to be in any more scenes in this film but uh and he, he survives so whatever yeah there's just I mean, a lot of what were they thinking moments. There's mm-hmm. the, the first fight, mm-hmm. they shut off two of the Jaegers. Well, they're not Jaegers, they're bots that they call them, but they just shut down two of the bots while they're in the middle of, I don't know if they call them Kaijus in there. They don't call them Kaijus, they call them just monsters, I guess, but mm-hmm. they just shut them down. And there you go. There's two, you know, robots just out of the fight and they just never, they start freaking out. They're like, oh shit, monsters going towards the city. We need to stop it. And at that, even it gets to the point where, you know, we're losing the fight. The monsters are winning and they still never circle back to maybe we should turn. Maybe we should turn on the Jaegers again <laughs> that we shut down a couple minutes ago. That didn't even make sense either, because I remember the scene before that one of them, the girl, um, Tracy, I believe her Jaeger or her bot was starting to lose power or something. And she was losing <laughs> oxygen. And then they turn the bots off right after that scene and i was like shouldn't they be losing oxygen right now like they should be dying like oh, it just made right. no sense about that. there was no like 
I'm, I'm telling you, there's just nothing redeemable about this film in any way, shape, or form. I'm dissociated through a lot of this movie. There, I swear, like, there are just, oh I God. had blackouts and I'd like yeah, wake, wake up in the middle of a scene, like, oh, mm-hmm. still going, huh? All right. It was that hard to watch. <laughs> it was, it was really tough. And I watched Pacific Rim before this, and that was my first time watching it. And I gave it a 3.25 out of five because I was like, you know what? I wasn't so low. We got to get into this. Yeah. But now, after watching that, I was like, damn, maybe it's a four. <laughs> I was just not, I was, oh my God. I mean, I have my gripes with Pacific Rim as a film, uh, mm. but come on, like comparing it to this, like Atlantic Rim, it's like, it's not even a, it's not even a movie. It, it felt like torture. Like you could, you could literally torture someone with this film. That's how bad this movie was. I don't even want to call it a film because it was just no art. No effort, nothing. I bet and you wish you watched Atlantic Rim first and then Pacific. Oh yeah, if 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 yeah, if the tables were kind of like you know switched and turned, Pacific Rim probably would have blown me away. And but to be fair, I think that if I watched Pacific Rim in the theaters, I would have liked it a lot more. I mean, it's it like plays kind in of theaters. Watching... <laughs> it's kind of like watching like you know Top Gun in the theaters. Like you got to watch it in the theaters. You can't just uh, watch it on hbo or whatever on your tv but it's a different impact but i re- i did enjoy pacific rim it's not like i was bored or anything i just had my gripes with it um I, th- I just wanted to like the characters a little bit more and i think the main character the actor was just i didn't like him he's from sons sons of anarchy and i don't know i, don't, I just don't think he's a great actor and that's a disqualifier right there no, i mean Straight it's up. just he wasn't just not good like i didn't care that his brother died and then i after the movie ended, I was like, what does his brother die? I mean, if you haven't watched Pacific Rim, it's been like also it happens nine, in like the years. first five minutes. So yeah, it happens in the first five minutes. So it doesn't. Really well, I don't matter. think you're supposed to feel that sad. It's only five minutes in. But yeah, I but like it didn't like impact his character growth, I think, throughout the film. Like I didn't understand if it was necessary. Like I felt like he was just always a steady guy throughout the film. Like his main, the main character, like I don't think he changed at all. Um, he kind of just lived every day uh, knowing that he made a mistake and he continued to do that. And it didn't even take him that much to kind of, um, what's the word, like persuade him to go back into his Jaeger. Oh, yeah. Was, I remember that scene. Was, you know what I mean? Like was I was very, just like, okay. Uh, it was very like quick. I mean, there's yeah, there's something about Pacific Rim. I don't think it's a, a marvel of screenwriting or character right, depth right. or anything. It's, it's really just a visual, like technical marvel for yeah. me. And, it was great for that, yeah. And the, it's fun. I think Charlie Day's character is like one of the highlights for me, just because he brings a different element to a movie like this that you wouldn't expect, I guess. And mm-hmm. you know, just his his Charlie Dayness, his wired energy, and his kind of <laughs> kookiness, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, ha- actually funny. having his role feel somewhat consequential to like learning more about the kaiju and yeah, you know, it was fun. Yeah, I liked all that stuff. Like this, there's a. It's like this movie has a bunch of movies in one, and uh, yeah, you know, I guess maybe the character depth is a casualty of that ambition. But mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to the actual battles and things like that, like the, all the great. neon in the city and just the, it just mm-hmm. is everything I want to see out of a movie like that. But yeah, yeah it's a very it, it satisfies a lot on that level. But you know, Atlantic yeah. Rim is. Sucks to you know have this mention. What's interesting I noticed is that Atlantic Rim and Pacific Rim came out in the same year. Yeah, there was yeah. probably like months apart. So like clearly, we got to talk about this issue. This Asylum Studios, 
they are so like it's known. Clearly, that they probably did film this within a month or two, knowing that Pacific Rim was. Or they got out. wind of the script or the you know trailer or whatever oh, stuff yeah. because they're known to do this kind of like they find something that's popular that's profitable. They mm-hmm. kind of make a knockoff brand of that, you know, something uh, taking taking the likeness mm-hmm. of another film or, or or IP or whatever, and just. Uh, making their own shitty self-aware knockoff version of that. And they call it, well, it's been referred to by people as a mockbuster, And, you know, they have a lot of them. And their most popular one is Sharknado. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that movie is probably one of their, it's definitely their biggest, but like, I think it's also divisive in that some people love it because it's like, oh, this movie's so stupid. Some people are like, well, I feel like, it, it takes away the fun out of bad movies when they know it's bad kind of kind of deal or when they're like, you know, they're hamming up that like this is such a bad movie. Right, guys, to kind of like show prove how much they're in on the joke, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, which can be fun still. But it also maybe takes away a little bit of the charm of like when a movie is bad that attempted something right. Yeah. Better and um failed at that but succeeded in something else in a roundabout way and i think atlanta grim kind of feels like that like almost just like when you're seeing a a stand-up comic just try a little too hard and it just Mm -hmm. like and it's very like self-deprecating but it's just kind of like all right we get it like you know your effects are terrible all right we get it your actors are terrible all right we get it like yeah there's no soul in this movie it's kind of I just never thought that there was so much that they, I don't know. I would assume these were all from different, you know, creators. I didn't understand at first that it was all under one studio. When you look at all their, you know, their list of films that are from that studio. So Mm -hmm. they have a bunch of, uh, it's horror films called Amity, whatever, because you can't copyright the title Amityville. So (laughs) they use Amityville awakening, Amityville, whatever the hell. 20 of them or so because they're taking advantage of the fact that they can just keep making horror films using the popular Amityville name and not face copyright. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're like a off, they're like a, you know, off brand production company, like anything else. Like when you see you know, off brand cereals or whatever, like they have the same kind of function, the same goal, which is to lure people in and like maybe don't necessarily care about the quality. They just want something close, something to enjoy. And, um, yeah, this one's kind of stale for me. I honestly, going forward, I'm not 100% sure I want to go into more of this mockbuster territory. We will proceed yeah, I, I, I uh, cautiously. Moving <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause this, this is something I actually thought would be a little bit funnier just from what I'd seen from it. You know, those standalone clips again, uh, oh, for they sure, made me yeah. laugh, but yeah, I guess to actually sit through the film's entirety, different story. So um, we will not be, so quick to jump into these movies next time because really it's like without knowing it's like like if we're thinking of the sense and like we're we're looking for the deep cuts right and we're looking for gems this is like fool's gold this is like not really what what it's like to stumble upon like a who killed captain alex or something like Mm -hmm. that this is like this is a the imitation of a bad movie that is you know has the charm it's an imitation it's not authentically like oh wow like no one's ever seen this you know because everything about it is too self-aware to the point where it's not as fun and there's no spirit there there's no soul there's nothing that i really found 
redeemable, really. I don't understand why they make movies. Like, I don't understand what their motives are, like, to be honest. I think just money. Clearly, they have money to make these movies. From these, like, I mean, maybe Sharknado. I don't even know how much money they could have made from that. But, like, my God, it's like. I think Sharknado didn't. No, not Sharknado. I think it's the Meg. I don't know if that's the same. I don't think so. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah. The Meg is actually played in theaters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it plays in theaters. <laughs> so, I uh, Atlantic Rim's budget, I want to say, was somewhere around five hundred. Yeah, it was five hundred k. So, that's really that's really small. You know, even a million dollar budget is considered small these days. Mm-hmm. So, five hundred k is just like that's not a huge loss. And if you're going to be making it on, you know, um, on the on the I guess the expectation that you're going to make money back from rentals and like people saying like, Oh, watch this garbage rip off of Atlantic rip. Like I say, that's not a huge loss. Do you guys hear that dog? Yeah, I can. Howling? Yeah. Okay. I I'm going to go close my window. So the dog is already like begging us yeah. to stop talking about Atlantic rim. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's just end it there. I think well, that, well, there's... we didn't actually pick up on the, the sequel, oh, which was Atlantic rim resurrection. Um, yeah, I, which I, jump, I jumped that. right back into that after watching Atlantic Rim, and I just wanted to talk a little bit more about that. Okay, go because, ahead. No, nah, I'm just kidding. I didn't watch it. <laughs> Wait, what? what I was I surprised. It? Like, did you actually watch that? I didn't even know there was a second one. Um, yeah, there's like. Oh, I saw one. there was a sequel to Atlantic Rim. Right? Yeah, me yeah. and Ray were just about to dive into it. Are you ready? Yeah, no, no. way. <laughs> Stepping away. Let's this just, was yeah, not like, even like off-brand garbage or junk food it was like the junk food leftovers that have had all the flavor microwaved out of them and the only purpose it really serves is like i don't know sustenance for a hangover (laughs) like it's just it's just like yep this is this is food and this is greasy shitty food Um, yeah below junk food best part of the movie is when it ended so literally yeah, yeah i was very happy but we did watch Pacific Rim, so we can get into that. I watched, I rewatched it, Rich. You rewatched it last week. And Ray, this was your first watch. So, mm-hmm. it was my first watch. Yeah. Well, um, now that you've gotten rimmed twice, which <laughs> one was the better rim job? Of course, Pacific, bro. I mean, it's like a no brainer. But like I said, I think, you know, the main character and the main actor didn't really care about the depth of these characters that much. Um, even, uh, I think her name was Mako, Mako. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Like, but the Asian character, I didn't, I just didn't care for any character, to be honest. I think Idris Alba, his performance was really cool. I thought he really, um, he did well. And I, he, he was aware of like what type of film it was and stuff, but, uh, I didn't care for his character either. I, I don't think I cared for any character, to be honest. Really? But the action, no, uh, yeah. I thought they did an okay job, you know, making the characters have something some value you know like mako and, yeah a little uh, bit yeah and, it's uh, not like out of Selva's character that's probably the, the and stuff was cool i like yeah, that i like that too. i, I, I didn't I care like the that relationship much, that it's set for you know the two of them because yeah uh, more than what is it him and his brother charlie hunnam's character and his brother okay yeah of course yeah because that flashback scene yeah it's traumatic and mm-hmm. you know that's her savior right there and she just wants to be a jaeger pilot and he's just like no 
Yeah. I like yeah. that it's like the first time that you get to not only witness a kaiju attack from the perspective of a civilian in a city, but then you get the like shot of what a Jaeger looks like when it like mm-hmm. comes out all heroically, like, you know, you know, 500 mm-hmm. feet tall or whatever. And just like, you know, it's just it's just a cool perspective, especially from yeah. a little girl's perspective. Like, oh, wow. Like that that is a neat, neat shot there that I liked. Um, yeah, I do. I kind of see what you're saying about the characters. I mean, they're all kind of like, you know to one dimensional for the most part. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. seem to mind it as much because I liked, I really liked the world of Pacific Yeah. The Rim. world was awesome. The world is like, I love the idea. Okay. It's Pacific Rim, meaning all the continents, countries that, that um, surround the Pacific ocean have their own mech, you know, mecha robot to fight mm-hmm. kaijus, like the Russian mm-hmm. ones. And they all kind of like look identifiable too. You know, I think that's cooler to me than like the Transformers idea of just like where they just found a car that they liked, I guess, and just like, you know, turned into the car, you know, and then whereas this one, it's like, no, each country has their own like superhero, which is these giant mechs, these giant iron giants. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just the personalities of them like, oh, it's the Russian team or oh, it's the Australian and blah, blah, blah. Like all these, all of the Japanese one, all that stuff was really cool. So again, like the world is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I just think it's like super creative, um, on del Toro's part. I mean, all, even though it's pretty derivative, like it's borrowing from a lot of different things, but, um, I even get some Blade Runner vibes off the world at some points, just in a much more like whimsical way, I suppose. Yeah. But it's a little bit like neon cyberpunk at points, especially the Ron Perlman character. Yeah. Um, I like that part too. Yeah. I liked his character. Um, he was funny and, but yeah, I think the action and the color, like just the visuals of that film was just it was top notch, obviously. Yeah, it just the reminds sticks. me too of like a simple a simpler time, like just like oh, Guillermo's first big blockbuster. And like, mm. he, you know, he brought a, a refreshing amount of personality to a film like this during the age where like the Transformers movies were just ramping up and becoming like really repetitive, copy paste and nonsensical. And he just brought a freshness to that, I think, that genre. So I, I just think back to like, damn, this is a cool take on something that like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's popular and it's been done before, but like, I don't know, it still felt fresh. It was it was a fun time. I think like, obviously I would watch it again, I think. Um, maybe I'll pick up some other stuff that I really liked about it. Uh, but yeah, I, I guess going into that film, I was hoping that I would connect with the characters a little bit more. That's how I approach every film though. So you guys know me. So it's just... I guess I was a little bit lackluster in that area. That's all I can really say about that. I mean, I couldn't really tell you what a lot of the characters name were. I just saw this character's name. I couldn't remember, but yeah, you know, the actual Jaegers are really cool. I think those are big ones to root for and the Kaijus. Um, Just, you know, every Kaiju is a little bit different and they're all unique. So I I would say that it's, it felt very consequential when, you know, Jaeger got killed off and you're just like, Oh shit, that really happened. So, Mm. Um, yeah, that's where my stakes were um, with the people inside them and everything. Because with Transformers die, it's just like, oh, this yeah, alien robot just, died. But right, you think about like the two people inside died horribly or something. Yeah, and they're fighting in oceans, drowning and getting crushed. So, yeah, I, I like the idea that, that handshake like, and stuff, like matching their brains together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to I was gonna say the control. idea that they're in the rift. Like when yeah. one of them dies, you experience death because you guys are that's sharing insane. like a brain wavelength or something that's a really cool idea Mm -hmm. i like the yeah i like that stuff those little sci-fi elements thrown in that kind of keep it like 
a little bit layered. Like yeah. there's so many little mm-hmm. details in the, such a simple premise that it could be something like an Atlantic Rim, you know, <laughs> just get in this fucking robot and kill monsters. That's all there is to it. But I don't know. I think there's there's a little bit more creativity. Mm-hmm. I think I would have liked to know a little bit more about the kaiju, I guess, but it's pretty much, you know, self. Ex- I mean, what was it? Charlie Days? That's his name, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Charlie Day. Yeah, oh, Charlie Day. His character basically said that you know they're just trying to take over worlds, and you know that's a very common, I guess, trope for monsters and things that come from like different dimensions. This is basically the Stranger Things. Um, monsters and enemies are the villains are basically doing the same thing it's like a virus trying to take over the world that they're invading so Mm -hmm. it's you know i I wish i kind of got a little bit more especially that his character like meshed his brain with the kaiju which i thought was super cool like oh we're gonna learn a little bit more about it and but i ended up just hearing like yeah it's just we're just trying to take over the world and you know we're invading you guys and that's that so I, I think it would have been nicer to like learn a little bit more about the motives of that, but I can't really complain because you know it's not like a bad. You wanted some kaiju politics. Yeah, you wanted to know want what, it, yeah, what a little their bit stance more. on uh, mm-hmm. free tuition was, and yeah, <laughs> I think it's I, kind wanted, of like... I wanted. Uh, what is it? Charlie Hunnam's character to die. I just what is it? Relay or Raleigh? I don't know how you say his name. I honestly don't. Oh remember them, so. yeah, is, is it Raleigh? I think it's Raleigh or Raleigh. Yeah. Raleigh, yeah. I don't know. I think yeah, it would have been cool. Died. I mean, it would have been more impactful if he died. Off. She should have been saved, you know, sent up through her little inflatable yeah, wrap. I agree. But if you know, if they, if he did the, you know, the ultimate sacrifice, I think it would have given it a a better ending for me. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the news stories. Did you guys hear about Joker two being an officially announced? Ooh. Did I hear about it? Did you or not? Um, uh, unfortunately. unfortunately. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, well, I mean, I don't think this is surprising to anybody. We all kind of knew this was going to happen, right? Like this was no, it is surprising. Confirmed. I mean, I they thought said it was basically there were rumors, but I didn't. I don't know. I guess like I was kind of confused too when they announced it because it is it just like an official announcement? Well, they announced it's it a while official. ago. There's a lot more than just an announcement, unfortunately. Or, wasn't there? Worse. Was there a leak a while ago? So I, I feel like was, we did know about this. Like there was some signing on. It was more was, like typical, like unofficial Hollywood announcing where it's just like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is really tickled about the idea of playing Joker again. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no shit. Of course, that's an article because they're already fucking working on it. That's that's what that is. It's to gain interest. So like you already know, read between the lines. It's he's he's going to come back as Joker. You know, we, we don't know his like all of his like, you know, desires to return to roles. But that one for sure was like. You you know they're gonna bring him back for the paycheck, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah. that's not the big big news. The big big news is how they're coming back. Yeah, which is well, the fact that know. it's gonna be a musical. And what? I don't know. <laughs> I guess we all know Joaquin can sing. I mean, yeah, walk the line. He's he's good, and he could dance. I guess. Um, but, but Harley Quinn is playing 
Lady yeah. Gaga. Or <laughs> playing Lady Gaga. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's where the method goes full fucking tilt, where it's just like the character is now playing the actress. <laughs> yeah, no, anyway, I fumbled that. What? Uh, Lady Gaga is playing Harley Quinn. So... I kind of like Lady Gaga, I guess, for a musical, yeah. But in this sense, and it's a, you know, it's a musical, you know, film. So mm-hmm. she was good in *A Star Is Born*. *A Star Is Born* isn't necessarily a musical. There's songs that are sang, and it's kind of sung. It's performed through, you know, they're supposed to be real, uh, you know, artists that are going and you know on tour and doing concerts. But this is just like wacky, you know, multiverse. This is just other dimension shit where it's just is like it? you would never is that guess. Like Confirmation. Oh, I mean, our, we're living in a multiverse. Yeah, basically. Like we're you know, living like, in the worst yeah, this, universe. Yeah, this, I agree. this would never have happened, you know, in a million years. That's, That's what the it feels reason. like. This is the timeline we're living in. Well, this is also like, it's so obviously, though, like a statement like they're trying to make. Like it's like going to be this big, you know self-important middle finger to sequel culture and superhero culture because unfortunately i love i love jp but that's totally something he'd want to do he's like i'm not just gonna do joker too i'm mm-hmm. gonna come back i'm gonna make it a musical and i'm gonna talk about you know the environment and veganism and you know like you guys are never gonna forget it i guess i don't want to hate on it too much we don't know what yet. it is yeah but, exactly yeah but at the same time am i pumped not really i'm a little who the fuck likes musicals Right. At yeah. least on film. I'll go and watch musical and it's one know, of the live, most popular, but, you know, genres there is. I don't know. Yeah, that's why gonna... they're doing it. It's a statement. It's like I, I didn't care we're gonna do something me, yeah. different. Yeah. I mean I guess not to say I, I I I've definitely seen good musicals. I don't hate them all, but certainly not my favorite genre. And uh you know, mm-hmm. I certainly didn't want a Joker two, and I certainly didn't want a Joker two as a musical. So I guess it doesn't really matter what it is. It's because I didn't really care for it in the first place. But I, uh, it's hard that to feel worried when I don't necessarily care like about that, how it turns out. That means well, you can know. expect to see like a Joker two on Broadway. You can expect this yeah. movie oh to be God. a Broadway show, which might be better. Honestly, you might get a better experience out of that. Um depending on how the film turns out and if they follow it you know so well, also let's not forget the title isn't joker too it's yeah joker fully adieu, fully adieu. yeah that's like Wait, what oh is it my god dude with the french subtitle you're really oh, making this thing man. like a fucking self-important comic book movie it's 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 very it the fucking screenplay they showed a picture of it and it's all red cover like of course dude like this guy todd phillips is like <laughs> i used to make hangover movies now i make films that's this guy over here well you don't like what <laughs> i don't know but you know as as bad as this all sounds you know i can't decide if i care i'm kind of like in between like I want to see Joaquin do interesting projects. It would kind of suck. I maybe don't want to admit that it would suck if this was just absolutely horrendous. It's it's kind of interesting because the first Joker, I remember just seeing the trailers and I didn't want to watch every trailer, but I remember just from what they showed, I thought it was going to fall a little flat. I remember not being fully on board with it. It mm-hmm. seemed good, but it, I, I know a lot of people, there was a lot of hype behind that movie. And for some reason, the more, that I saw of it before actually going to theaters and seeing it, I thought it just wouldn't, I didn't think mm. it would live up to a type. Um, 
it's still a great movie, but I remember at the time. So it's, it's kind of weird that I'm having the same feeling for the sequel, yeah. even knowing that, you know, the first one was really good, but this is a big curveball. It um, is for sure. I feel the, like it's going what to does be. Does Folia do mean? I don't know. Did anybody do the homework? Did they what? look that up? What Folia do? Yeah, it means, it means uh, it's like, a, you know, the, in a case of mental illness, like where two people have the same kind of symptomatic, you know, mental issue, I suppose. Two people have the same ailment oh. or something like that. Loosely, I could be, that's generally what I got. And, and it makes sense if this movie's about Joker and Harley Quinn. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know. Who cares? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe it's a good thing that this is going to be like a different thing because I know that we, I think when Joker 1 came out, we talked about it and it was almost as if like, it's a really good movie, but at the same time, it wasn't saying anything different than other movies that we've seen already. It wasn't like necessarily like groundbreaking or anything, but the performances was, you know, they were great. Um, But I guess that's the only way they can really make a Joker 2 if it's different because then it's kind well, of because they can't not... rip off Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. Anymore. Yeah, that's done. and it's hard to like, you know, follow up a, a really good just movie in general. I if mean, go down. It the... has to be. Huh? You could go down the list of Scorsese films that Todd Phillip <laughs> likes, and you know, that's I basically guess. what his Joker saga could be. Because that's what the original one is. Is yeah, or seventies Scorsese, and so he could just kind mm-hmm. of like make like Joker, but like After Hours inspired. But it seems like now he's going to go in a complete... Again, it just gives me that vibe. It's like, I'm not going to make a comic book movie. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to change the world. Uh, I don't really just... I just... With the with the character of Joker that he created, which is very different from the comics, you know, that might be an issue to some people, like how different Joker is mm-hmm. from his usual, like, you know, characterization and everything else, especially the comics, yeah. you know. Why does Harley Quinn Harley Quinn need to exist in this world? I mean, obviously, again, they could do mm-hmm. the same thing to change her character, like it, the, in a way that we've never seen before. But the, Harley Quinn, as I know it, as like the animated character, that's that's where she started out, and as the Suicide Squad, you know, Margot Robbie character. Yeah, I don't see how that fits into yeah this Joker universe. that character is very very. It, you can't, it's hard to take that character serious. Exactly. It doesn't and fit. I, it's like, and if you're going to go that whole, like, you know, that like long Island accent that she has and very rambunctious and I don't long know. Islands. I don't know. It's just, I don't know what part of fucking New York she's from, whatever, but or Gotham, but wow. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's the, the fact that it, especially it's going to be Lady Gaga. It's, it's a yeah. really tough sell. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm expecting a bit of a comedy, honestly. If it's a musical, I'm just expecting there's going to be, you know, jokes just shoved in there and lots of silly playfulness. Take it full self-aware. The other one, the first yeah. one, took itself really serious, and this yeah. one, I guess, is just going to go full. I mean, I'm sure it, if I had to guess, it's going to be existing within Joker's psychosis. You know, like that's why it's kind of like borderline. Is is this real? Is this not mm-hmm. real? Because the, the first mm-hmm. one kind of plays with that, and this one I feel like might lean into that more because they're both unhinged, and they might be exist. You know, singing to each other in this world. <laughs> I wonder I don't if there's going to be it fourth so wall breaking. Me. That'll piss me off. <laughs> if, if yeah, I'm sure it will be. <laughs> uh, well, you know. It, you know, there's a very, very small percent chance it could be genius. Like it could be a satirical, satirical, you know, brilliant statement on 
you know, comic book movie culture and sequel culture, but I doubt it. I mean, there, there's a possibility. We just don't know much about this. There's no trailer. There's no nothing. So, but I do know that the only good news, in my opinion, about this getting announced is Here that it it's, it's another oh, L for the man, <laughs> the king of L's, putting the L in Leto once again. Jared Leto. Not only did he his his comic book movie, Morbius, flop twice, but now he has to get cucked by Joaquin Phoenix yeah. twice. As he gets, mm-hmm. as he comes in for a second Joker movie, and Jared has zero standalone Joker movies, but he has two releases of Morbius in theaters that both failed miserably. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I'm starting to feel a little bad. <laughs> really? No, not at all. <laughs> I just honestly wanted to hear what you guys think of that. Uh, yeah, I that mean, does suck for him. This guy, you know, is just constantly reminded of how terrible his yeah. performance was. Um, every yeah. time he has to hear more news about, you know, the role that he thinks got away, that Daddy Snyder isn't there to protect. And you know, keep around for him. He's just doing. Which it too I don't much, even know man. if that's still even going to happen. I don't know if there's any more Snyderverse films not. in the works. I, I was just so surprised. I guess even after he returned to that role, people were still just like, "Fuck that!" Like we don't want anymore. Was of that. the fucking mm-hmm. worst part of the movie. <laughs> if you can even, I mean, I really didn't enjoy the Snyder cut. I, I mean, it was, it was better than the original, the theatrical Justice League by Joss Whedon, Justice League. But you know marginally that's not like. saying much like, yeah i mean maybe it wasn't marginally maybe it was a lot better but it was still i don't even know. think it was a lot better i just think maybe, it was. i don't really know it's hard to compare it's like comparing like a fucking half star movie to a two star movie like, well that's what you're, that's what i'm saying it's, <laughs> how, how big of you know an improvement could it truly have been if they're both still pieces of shit you know yeah i mean you know it's a big term to throw around pieces of shit you know calling it, but still it's just <laughs> You know, they're just, they're really, really just overall bad. And it's easy to say one was worse than the other. And that's it. Yeah. That's the only way to really put it. It's, this one wasn't as bad. Yeah. I, mean, I I just didn't know if, you know, if there was any more of those supposed to be worked on because mm-hmm. I guess that was just a pandemic, you know, treat for us. You know, we were just blessed with the Snyder Cut during the dark times. I wouldn't say blessed, but I don't know what you mean. <laughs> it was a good watch, uh, just to you know, kind of bag on, you know. Sure, it was a lazy watch, you know. Just to... honestly, I will say it right here, right now. I think a lot of these movies would be enjoyed more together, like in person. If we watched them all at once, even even remotely, like you know, texting, because I know that like Atlantic Rim, like we just discussed, like that. Mm-hmm wasn't a good a great time very few redeeming moments but together i'm sure we would have you know we would have found a way to power through and make the best of it but it's hard to do that by yourself so no it is there's something to be said about the uh you know communal experience but yeah i don't know that 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 the that definitely improved my you know overall perception of justice league snyder cut but not by much I feel like guess since we're on the subject of DC, should we talk about our arch nemesis, hmm? uh, the rock finally getting his big film Shazam? Oh uh, my trailer. God. Oh yeah, that's true. 
I didn't watch the trailer. If that, that's Neither did I. Yeah, not I surprising to you, I'm sure. I didn't care to watch the trailer. I know this guy, Rich, loves to torture himself, though, so give it to us. What did it look uh, like? <laughs> it just looked like every... I don't know. It's, these, these, this cape shit just, you know, you've seen one, you've seen most of them. I guess he's an anti-hero. I always thought his character, you know, whatever, Shazam is supposed to be the bad guy to whatever. The, who's the other guy who played the most recent Shazam? Or no, he's no, Black no, no. Adam. Sorry, that's I don't yeah, even know these Adam. fucking superheroes, but yeah, he's Black Adam. He's not Shazam. The other guy's Shazam. So I don't know. It just looks like fucking Dwayne Johnson in another film, being buff and <laughs> you know breaking shit and you know I get psyched everybody because you know the DC you know extended universe lives on. <laughs> I know he's been super annoying about you know his interviews around this movie of course i mean this is a guy who's like all of his instagram videos are always in the gym and he's got to come out you like so yeah today just woke up at 5 a.m and did my uh did my reps wasn't easy but you know gotta do it gotta chase the dream gotta you know you never give up i always say that um but that's how he is about black adam he's just like i'm gonna be the most buff superhero there ever was of any superhero movie like this workout plan is so serious like if i'm going to be president i have to make sure that my superhero is the biggest and baddest ever and like he it's it's in he's literally talking like that it's insane and he will he will become president just watch impossible you're, you're speaking into an existence bro it's, it's uh, just uh i don't have any more faith dude we got Joker 2 as a musical. Why wouldn't The Rock be a fucking president? Like, I don't know. They're, those are somehow in the same universe. They have to be. They're mm -hmm. both on similar levels of chaos. <sighs> this kind of also leads into, you know, people. I mean, The Rock's version of method acting, it requires zero acting lessons or zero improvement in acting. He's proven He's that that's not a concern. His, his only concern is to get more buff. <laughs> that's his that's what method acting is to the rock you know like you have people like joaquin that are a little bit more filled in and he's like oh i'm gonna lose like fucking 100 pounds and like you know become a skinny contorted person uh, uh for joker and you know that's impressive and to gain it back and to lose that and christian bale does that shit whatever i mean i don't really like handing out awards you know metaphorical ones to these people that do that i do respect it i think it's crazy but like i also don't necessarily like encourage it like yeah that's what they should do they should fucking torture themselves for that role i just like damn you can go off dude i guess but you know he, he does that's that's his thing is like he's never gonna he's never gonna lose weight for a role he would never like i'm gonna lose all my muscle mass and get get really fat you know <laughs> like he would never do that but whatever. He's not committed, I mean, man. He's, he's not, not committed. committed. He's and there's just, a level, you know, I'm not saying you have to torture yeah, yourself to be an actor, just, but like this guy yeah. doesn't really care about acting necessarily. But I'll always say what pisses me off is when people just go out and throw that this is the hardest working guy in Hollywood. And I'm just, <laughs> I can't stand the highest paid and the hardest working. I mean, that's the American dream right there. You clearly, you work hard. You, you, that's how you uh, get to the top. The highest paid actor in Hollywood is the hardest working actor. Works course. out and raises his eyebrows and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, signs on the dotted line and you know, you'll be the hardest working guy in Hollywood before you know it. It's about drive. It's about power, baby. Um, yeah, he's well, he certainly is the rock, isn't he? But mm -hmm. true method actor in our time. <laughs> Speaking of true method actors who I really 
just like feel so devastated for because they'll never be the same. It's our boy Austin Butler just back at it again. He it's just seems to be getting worse, guys. Like this it, podcast, we're just shitting on anybody we can. Dude. <laughs> I, dude, just what you're talking back, about. Man. I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about. This guy. This is a serious like. We should. This is like a serious hour. Okay. We're talking about Austin Butler. Are you talking about Elvis? Yeah, don't call yeah. him. That, I, don't, don't, I don't know. Don't, I don't know. Don't Austin he's Butler's still Austin. Man. He <laughs> can't <laughs> let go of who he is. Okay, <laughs> he's not Elvis, but he thinks he is. Unfortunately, the guy's uh, trapped. He, he's trapped, man. I don't know if he's there's gone. any way out. He's but, uh, coming you know, back. And in, he had an interview where he said that there's he he literally said this. There's triggers that cause him to slip back into talking like Elvis. <laughs> yeah he literally says he literally says he said this because I'm a shy person and when I know that there's bits of Elvis that I have to click into in order to go out on stage and be in front of a ton of people being surrounded by his name everywhere Elvis 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 Elvis, Elvis. Elvis. There's triggers everywhere. So <laughs> this guy is fucked. And this guy has <laughs> post-traumatic stress disorder as far as, you know, <laughs> being yeah. Elvis. This guy, <laughs> this guy can't let go. I feel for the guy. I hope he gets better. Um, I movie. guess. They're going to have to make an Elvis too. Yeah, I really point. don't know what you can do at that point. Like, I don't know. I have actually some some quotes, you know, to bring awareness to this method acting. Sending them, yes, <laughs> to bring awareness to bring awareness to this uh, method acting uh, syndrome that that's taking people over. I, I have don't some think quotes, this is real, and I want you to. Um, well, some of them are, you know, some of them you might be able to guess who said these. I'll, I'll start. Okay, so. There's a fine line between the method actor and the schizophrenic. So, Nick Cage. Yep, totally. <laughs> you got that. Um, and, you know, there's this one that, this one really, really hit me. This is like serious stuff, dude. Don't laugh. Um, you, <laughs> you can either be a vain movie star or you can try to shed some light on different aspects of the human condition. Uh, I'm just going to stay quiet. Nick Cage. <laughs> uh, no, that's Leo. That's, that's Leo. Oh, here's another one that really fucking just devastated me. I've been planted here to be a vessel for acting. That's why I'm really taking any part, regardless of how complicated it's going to be. Oh, fuck. Uh, so that's not Jared Leto. It's Leto. Leto. It's Leo. I'm gonna again. guess. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, you can't hit us with two. <laughs> you should be able to tell because of how fucking say, that, that impression sounded just like the last one. <laughs> also, was... they're, they're both equally fucking annoying quotes, but I will say this one is this one will be different, okay? This one I swear is a different person. I'm not gonna do the voice because I I don't know how to do this one. I was basically unconscious the whole time. It was crazy. I spent so much time making myself throw up 
pissing my pants. It's the most revolting thing. I don't know. Maybe it's really annoying. James Franco. Uh, it's Robert Pattinson for the lighthouse. You know, and, oh. and he, he was the only one who said the truth there at the end. Maybe it's really annoying. You know, this guy's on to something. So I don't know. I guess that's nice that he acknowledged it. Yeah. <laughs> I might be pissing off a few people. Also, uh, not to, yeah, I mean, also, we, we totally forgot Paul Dano. He was another one recently. That he was the guy who said that, that he, he lost sleep. He lost sleep after the Riddler role, and apparently he didn't have sex. So get into the mind of this incel guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's crazy, though, because he was like a slave owner in 12 Years a Slave, and he didn't have an issue with that. But uh, this was no. terrible. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, what is it? Did he come out and say anything, though? Like, did was he bragging about how hard it was being a method actor for? Oh, they all do, of course, dude. You, if you're gonna play the Riddler, the Joker, you got you can't. You have to have a story. At this point, I wonder how much fault it is of the actors as it is the like PR agents. Like, okay, you got to come up with a story. Like, say you pissed your bed. Say you can't sleep. You locked yourself in a hotel for a few weeks or something. Say you abused know. your your. But like, this is how our movie's gonna make money. Obviously, so say some bullshit mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, you know, might or might not be true. I don't know, but you know. It certainly gets people's attention. It gets mine. It's it's more concerning for me. I really, I really worry about these people just getting lost in roles and getting haunted by the ghost of Elvis forever. Let's see what else I have. Okay, actors are agents of change. A film, a piece of theater, a piece of music, or a book can make a difference. It can change the world. Is that Alan Rickman? Yeah. Yeah. Alan Rickman. Yeah. I don't know. That's all I got. Honestly, but, um, I didn't even hear what the actual quote was. I was just yeah, smiling I just... on the impression. <laughs> that shit was so boring to listen to. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty. It is not the best method acting quote. Um, rest in peace. So wait, yeah. I honestly say yeah. it one more time. Say it one more time, really oh quickly. Don't do. Don't Why do, do you want to know? Are you? I just are want you to know if it was pretentious, or I just want to know if it was like. It totally is pretentious. That first line: "Actors are agents of change." Give me a break. Okay, I don't yeah, need to read sorry. the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's all I want to know. I just. I'm not kidding. I did not hear a word that you said before. I just You're listened just to your voice. Accent deciphering mode. I was like, that's gotta um, be Alan Rickman. All right, fellas, let's get to the biggest news of the week, which was Julie Cruz passed away. I know you have a little bit more to say, Jer. Um, I know you're a big fan of Lynch, and she worked a lot with Lynch. So, Jer, do you want to take this one since you're a little bit more well-versed in the Lynch area? Uh, Sure, yeah. Um, Pretty sad week for Lynch fans and Julie Cruz fans. Uh, Kind of just one of the few artists that is – synonymous with a filmmaker because of how closely they work together and it was just like we were supposed to watch Mulholland Drive this week we agreed mm-hmm. on that last recording and kind of crazy timing that she passed uh this week and it just seemed like a great opportunity to kind of take some time and recognize and appreciate all of her work with Lynch mm-hmm. um for those that don't know anything about Lynch or Julie Cruz um Lynch 
I, I would say they're most popular, uh, most popularly known for the Twin Peaks series. And she created the th- or she sings over the theme song. And um, she's done a, a bunch of other work throughout his films. But um, her voice is, you know, it's a very haunting, angelic voice. And it really just wouldn't be the same show without her. And I think a lot of his movies wouldn't be the same without her presence. So um, they collaborated pretty much throughout their entire careers. And she always brought a very special kind of ethereal feel to the atmosphere in his movies. And if you know Lynch, he's all about the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of actually how they met, um, or I, I, I guess this is kind of urban legend. I don't know if this is actually confirmed, but I like to think it's real. It sounds like something that would have happened with Lynch. Um, but basically, Lynch's other musical close collaborator, who has, again, done all of his music instrumentally mainly, um, is um, Angelo Bellamenti. And he asked Lynch to write the lyrics for Mysteries of Love, which would uh, be a song featured in Blue Velvet. And uh, so Lynch wrote down some lyrics on a sheet of paper, and he uh, showed it to Angelo. And it was really simple. It was just... Sometimes a wind blows and you and I float in love and kiss forever. And uh, Angelo knew right away this is not a song. There's like only a few lines and there's no rhyme or hook or anything. Uh, but knowing Lynch, you know, who whose mind kind of operates like kind of like a child in a good way, because he's there's just like a simplistic, pure nature to it. Mm-hmm. Um, he just asked him, he's like, well, what do you want it to sound like? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, just make it like the wind, like a song that floats on the sea of time. Make it <laughs> cosmic. We just need someone who sings like an angel. And that would eventually lead to Lynch finding Julie Cruz. I guess I'll play a little clip of that and see how she kind of transforms those few lines into something special. So yeah, um, Lynch's uh, simplistic poetry proved to be a match for the very pure essence of Julie's voice and uh, wasn't up until April 8th, 1990, when Twin Peaks aired, that uh, the unforgettable theme for the show would kind of synchronize their artistry forever. And I'm sure many of you will be familiar So, uh, yeah, Julie's voice is forever synonymous with the sound of Twin Peaks, um, and she'll be missed dearly. And uh, with that being said, we all, I think two of us watched Blue Velvet. Ray, you had seen it already. 
Mm-hmm. But that, yeah. since that was the very first movie they ever collaborated on, I think we should just get right into it. Yeah. You guys go ahead. I mean, it's been a little bit, a little while for me, but I really did thoroughly enjoy Blue Velvet. But you guys, I want to hear your thoughts since it's a little bit fresher on your minds. I got to pass this to Rich because he just watched it for the first time. I That's did. Right. That's I right. I did. Uh, still fresh. It was... It was something I at first was trying to just figure out what's happening. We have like a thrill seeker that just, it seemed kind of like you looking to, you know, just kind of trying to get off on, you know, breaking into people's houses and pick up on little stories that he's heard. And basically I thought it was, uh, it was pretty wacky for some performances. It definitely leaned into a world where I just didn't expect it to. There was a lot of surprises there. I guess for my second Lynch film after watching Mulholland Drive, it was, I'm starting to pick some things up. This guy just explores sexuality and uh, just maybe fetishes that are not very you know, mm-hmm. well known. Um, a lot of uncomfortable stuff too. Uh, yeah, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's definitely also what I'm gathering is these aren't movies that you watch once. These are movies that you need to watch, you know, multiple times or at least twice just to yeah. see how you feel about it after, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of confusion. There's still some questions that I have about it. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much me right there. I definitely see a lot of rewatchability in his films. The first time I ever watched Blue Velvet was in high school, and I really I thought that I got it, but I really didn't get it. Like I I enjoyed it a lot and I thought it was just a cool movie. Um, and I could see why it was popular and and iconic, but it wasn't until I got older. I think I, I rewatched it again a couple of years ago, and, and then it just clicked. It was like, oh shit, this movie is about so much more than I could have ever imagined. Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of his movies are for me. But you know, it's a it's a movie about it's sort of like a coming of age, really, and but in a later stage yeah. in your life, the whole becoming an adult, coming back is the classic coming back from college story to his you know back to his old neighborhood and uh you know revisiting that innocence that he that lynch paints in this white picket fence neighborhood you know there he's it seems like he's returning to his youthful roots but is immediately sucked in to this portal of darkness by like a literal severed human ear you know that's like the thing that pulls him into this world and he's very curious like most young men are you know they don't typically turn away from things that pique their curiosity and they're kind of tantalized by the um the darkness you know the things that they feel like they're ready for as an adult the things that they think they can take on because they're invincible and they're finding themselves awakening sexually and you know just all the all these aspects of their own maturity are happening uh so you know him finding this ear that leads to this beautiful singer and um, I don't think it's a, a, a mistake that she sings the song Blue Velvet, which is like a very not sexy song. It's like a 50s, you know, classic, just like a song your grandma would put on. You know, it's it's a it's a nice song. It's a pretty song. But when he sees this beautiful woman, this like femme fatale singing it very, you know, sensually and very alluring it's like the darkness is calling to him and seducing him and he follows that further and further and all these things start revealing themselves to him there's so many facets of this movie that it's insane to talk it's impossible to talk about it all in one 
conversation. I mean, you, it could go on for mm-hmm. hours, but there's so many different facets of the things that um, Jeffrey, who is like the perfect kind of vessel for like, he's morally grounded, but he's still like curious. He wants to do the right thing, but he's also like, you know, he's, he's sexually pulled in or he's, you know, he, he wants to be, he thinks he knows everything about the world. He thinks he knows how the world works. And so, yeah, it's just like a very, in that sense, it's relatable. I think we can all think of that time. And this is sort of like a fantasy situation where it's like, oh, I get to play detective and help this beautiful woman. And, but then he starts to realize that the underbelly of this beautiful Americana lifestyle um, is a really, really dark place that it isn't just dark because it's evil, but it's dark in that heat. There's some things he just cannot even describe or can't even explain. There's, there's that Lynchian element of like, you can't even explain some of the things in this movie. They just are unsettling and they make you feel a certain way. And that's like the true darkness is like the unknown, you know, like just like, what is this Frank guy? What is, what is that gas that he's inhaling? Like, why is he talking like that and saying these things? Who is, you know, Ben and him lip singing that song with the lamp microphone, you know, just all these like (laughs) crazy weird things that are just like, you feel like you're in the underworld and you don't, you don't get all the answers to why the way things are the way they are. But you know, it, it still gives you that sense of like, you're not supposed to be here. Like you've gone too far. When you stare into the abyss, the abyss stares back and pulls you in. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, I agree a hundred percent. I think, you know, generally I, you hit all the points right there. It's basically this kid trying to kind of, make that transition from being almost this naive kid to becoming an adult and how dark that can be. Um, and that ear is obviously where everything pretty much changes. But I really do like the that struggle in him because there's that uh, Lord Dern's character, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. It's like his like normal girlfriend. It's like, you know, he's growing up, but also it's just like she's He's like a typical very, virgin yeah, like oh, typical like, yeah you know exactly yeah so and then gonna be the girl that wins my heart kind of like it sets up like a right, classic right. movie you've seen a bunch of times before mm-hmm. and then you also have uh dorothy which was the singer mm-hmm. and he kind of struggles with that and he falls in love with her and obviously you know he has you know romantic relationships with this individual and it leads him to very dark places and i think you hit it on the head when you said like it's it's really how it feels to kind of grow up and you see how the world really is. You know, mm-hmm. it's the white picket fence. Yeah, sure. We always paint it that way. But in reality, growing up, is it could be ugly. It could be mm-hmm. very scary and it could be a black hole sometimes. You know, we've all been there, I think, um, as we got older and, and it continues to do that. You know, we're less naive. And I really do like his growth throughout the film. And I think it's it's also just kind of funny how dreamlike it is. You know, most of his movies are pretty dreamlike. Mm-hmm. And we'll get into that with like Mulholland Drive, which mm-hmm. is pretty apparent there. Even Elephant Man. Um, but this one, it was uh, it, <laughs> it's always funny to think about like the two differences, especially when he was walking with Laura Dern's character. I always think about this when he's walking with her in the night and he's like doing that chicken. The chicken walk, dude. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that always that's kills me. <laughs> 
I'm, just, I'm so confused. Yeah. Like, hey, what is he doing? <laughs> <laughs> is that what you mean when you kind of, you know, speak about him being childish sometimes or childlike? Yeah. Just I, Lynch I, I, just I suppose. these things. Like, I think the best way to describe Lynch, there's so many ways. When people say Lynchian, it's a catch-all term for basically mm-hmm. things that people can't really fully describe, but it is like a good identifier for certain things. And, you know, there's some definitions where it's like it's the it's the union of the extremely banal, like the average per- picture perfect American lifestyle, you know, like a Norman Rockwell painting just and then and then combining that with the extremely grotesque and disgusting and depraved all of that in the same universe coexisting side by side with one another without any real like aversion to each other. There's no, there's mm-hmm. rarely any delineation. I mean, there's characters that re- respond to those things, but in the way that they coexist, it's just so like puzzling. And yeah, people describe it as dreamlike or it's like a nightmare or something. Mm-hmm. But um, Lynch kind of creates that. And I think it's a good like metaphor for our world. That's also very weird. Obviously the contrasts aren't always as stark as they are in his movies, but there are certain things that we just can't explain and that are just weird and, we tend to dismiss and Lynch likes to just dive head first into those oddities and expose them and give them the spotlight. And, um, and another thing is just how Lynch has this, it's not like he's childlike, you know, mentally, but like he, his sensibility and like his um, just like unashamed, you know, unfiltered approach to exposing how he sees the world, which, you know, many people would say is like, kind of borderline psychotic, you know, borderline, like so dark, like he's really digging deep into the recesses of his own Mm -hmm. psyche. And he just presents it like a child would like in this very, like, you know, lack of self consciousness, like here it is, this is, this is the world. This is the idea that I perceive. And, and there's something that's kind of like, you know, I think people envy that because like, who doesn't want to be like a kid again to just present whatever they're thinking and saying, you know, cause your imagination is as a kid is, is vast. Um, but it seems the older mm-hmm. we get, the more we shut down those ambitions and those, that willingness to present ideas for fear of being judged and whatnot. But Lynch is so entirely himself that he, yeah, he just is so passionate and fierce about how he presents these images and ideas in his head that it's just like, you know, he's a true auteur in that sense. So I, uh, uh, that's, one of the many reasons I love him as a filmmaker, even if mm-hmm. his stuff doesn't fully land for me, which rarely ever happens, but you know, I, I still respect it more than most filmmakers yeah. when they, when their yeah. stuff doesn't land. Yeah. Blue Velvet it's is wonderful. a masterpiece and it's amazing. Just the, like the context of when it came out, like in the eighties, the eighties is by far the most, sterile and safe and very like pg mm-hmm. era of filmmaking you know there was nothing too daring during that time um everything you know when you think of spielberg like his spielbergian movies they're all family friendly they're all fun but like you know it was the time for the feel-good movies it was the time to kind of censor things and make things fun and this movie like is incredibly daring even for today's standards but rejected all of that it's like an indie movie that was very like punk rock in its attitude and just kind of itself and it inspired a lot of the you know the 90s circle of 
young auteurs like Tarantino and Coen brothers and Paul Thomas Anderson. Like this was the movie that they saw. They were like, damn, I want to make shit like that. Like that's mm-hmm. what speaks to me. Like, you know, you have your, you have your cool violence and all that, but there's, it's just so layered. It's so relatable and it's so unafraid to be what it is. Like that was such a refreshing, like the symbol of indie cinema as like an escape from the rest of the industry. So yeah, blue velvet was it. And I I think it is still my personal favorite Lynch, but I mean, it's Mm. really hard to like even say, because my favorites shift around all the time. I think it being my first and it, you know, me having the longest amount of time to process and think about it and uh, really just grow with it. Yeah. um, You know, has a very special place in my heart and it was, it was very formative for me as a team. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, all of his movies are fantastic. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know if you guys have any, anything else to add to your experience. No. I mean, I think that you hit that point with like how the eighties is very like, you know, that era was sterile. We've talked about that. It was just like, I remember asking, I was like, why is it that like the eighties were just like such a very safe play? Like every single eighties movie felt the same, not like the same in, in the sense of, it was the same exact plot, but like it was all safe, you know, and it, it was daring to have like blue velvet out there. And for me, I think I would have to rewatch it to see if it is a masterpiece. But I, you know, after watching Mulholland Drive today, I was blown away. You know, I think that I still love Elephant Man. I still love um, Eraserhead. I think Eraserhead is my second favorite after Mulholland drive now from David Lynch. So well, that's my thought on that. Yeah. I don't really think about that, how the eighties were very safe when you, you think about those, uh, I almost said John Holmes films, uh, the John Hughes films, you know, Ferris mm-hmm. Bueller's day off and yeah, uh, breakfast club. Those movies are, you know, there are some very, there maybe you could call it our elements, but the movies overall are, you know, they are family friendly. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, I think this it was movie like was definitely the opposite. It was yeah. the movie was unhinged. So, oh yeah, uh, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, Lynch really was like a powerful voice during this time. You know, it mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, it's so refreshing to have somebody like that who comes out and is just like, give me a small budget and I can still make something like this that like people are going to talk about. You know, and. It still it has lovely. its edge all these years later. You can't even look back and say like, ah, oh, this movie is, it's lost its edge or what it's, you know, it was ahead of its time, but now it's irrelevant. Like, no, I'd say it's still massively relevant and just like its themes because they're so taboo. They're not as talked about as much, especially not presented in this way, you know? And then um, one thing we'll get into Mulholland Drive, but I, I did love I love his obsession with Roy Orbison because <laughs> he finds a way to include Roy Orbison in a lot of his stuff. Mm. But I think that in dreams sequence is just so like, damn, like what a fucking yeah. iconic scene that really has no relevance to the plot or anything. It's just so atmospheric and uncomfortable. And he turns like a, a pretty beautiful song, in my opinion, into something that's super dark and super, yeah, like, it's pretty haunting. Haunting. So, yeah. 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 And then I don't know if you guys re- noticed he includes a Roy Oberson song in Mulholland Drive. Oh, in yeah. A, yeah. In a very big way, but in a, also a hidden way. Um, Wait, when? It's what 
It's what the lady's singing. It's what the lady's singing at Silencio. Yeah. Is, mm-hmm. She's singing a Spanish version of it, Llorando. Oh, okay, yeah. I was kind of like thrown off by that. by Roy Orbison. Mm, so. Okay, okay. Oh, I didn't actually notice that. I was reading uh, just basically, you know, an explanation for what the movie was. Because obviously, once I finished Mulholland Drive, I was like, well, I don't know what I just watched. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that was, a a, that was a little bit of a, a fact they threw in there was, you know, uh, but the lyrics to that spoke a lot about the actual story. Uh, that mm-hmm. just happened especially because that happens at the end of that song so well yeah i mean we got to get into mulholland drive there's tons of different theories there's not one answer for this movie that I mean you can depending mm-hmm. again like blue velvet depending on how far you want to go looking yeah. into the movie is what the movie will mean to you and that's kind of the beauty of it is like it can mean this one thing but you can take it a step further because there's still enough ambiguities there that leave themselves open to interpretation so mm-hmm. um I'll, i will let you handle Mulholland drive ray since you're really excited to talk about this one damn well if you guys don't know everyone listening sunset boulevard is one of my top three movies of all time and i started i was Mulholland drive this is today was the first time i've ever watched it and at first you know i saw a little hands so i was like okay it's similar but it's not necessarily the same but i really do love films that are you know set in hollywood los angeles and stuff especially if it can um consists of the film industry so it was interesting by far already and i would say that this film is literally just an adaptation of sunset boulevard character wise like it's the same exact thing in my eyes because i started really connecting the dots throughout the film and i was blown away it was after and just to know i really did like the dreams like the dream like you know uh concept of the film throughout maybe the first half all the way to the third act i suppose it became more of a serious film and the acting definitely changed and i thought that was great like that first part or yeah the first two acts were basically her just kind of coming into terms in her mind what she had done and what has happened um, between her and uh, Rita. So it, for me, it was basically Sunset Boulevard 2.0. That's what I put on my review on um, Letterbox, And I gave it a five because it was just, it, it, it's base, it translates to the same exact thing. Norma Desmond. You really give five. That's an event. I was going to say, yeah. not a 4.75, not no, a 4. No, no, it's, it's a eight, five, eight, yeah. Fucking guaranteed five. Yeah. Wow. And even the message, for me at least, for me, because, you know, I mean, you can, you know, interpret this in so many different ways. But for me, the message was the same exact thing. And I, I felt like, you know, it's she's battling with her, her ego, her insecurities, and kind of just her mind, her mental health, like she's practically insane. She's like she's obsessed with her partner and stuff. And things didn't work out, obviously. And it's for me, the message of Sunset Boulevard was basically, you know, people get rid of you when there's nothing left that you can offer them. And that was the same thing with here. Like it was, it was great. Cause like, I remember I saw it, it was the beginning of the film. So many similarities to it, but she went down to from Mulholland drive all the way to sunset Boulevard. And I was like, Oh, that's so fucking cool. Like I saw like, you know, that little sign there. And I don't know if it was a done on purpose to kind of say like, Hey, I like sunset Boulevard. But then I started reading right after the film. Cause I started connecting the dots. I was like, what the fuck? This is so like, this is literally the same film. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't the only one that felt the same way. 
I started reading about it and stuff. And I think the scene where she goes to Paramount Pictures, that like big, you know, gate, that famous gate, that Paramount Pictures. Yeah. In this film in Mulholland Drive, that's the same exact car, apparently, um, in the same scene in Sunset Boulevard. I thought that's the same exact lot, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same exact lot, too. So it was just, I don't know, it was it was great. I was blown away. And I really liked the characters. It was, you know, I obviously it was like very dreamlike, Lynchian. And it was a fun time. I was, you know, probably an hour in. And I, you know, it was a slow kind of burn in the beginning, a little bit slow, but then I didn't mind it. Like it was it, something about the film was drawing me in, especially like the house, the setting of his, of her aunt. I loved it because it was like super 50s, super old school Hollywood. And just everything about the film like drew me in. I was not bored a single second of that film. And it kind of got convoluted towards the end. But I didn't mind that. Obviously, I you know expected that from Lynch. So, But it, it was just great. Like so many of the same points, basically for me, the same exact movie, but translated in David Lynch style. So yeah. those are my thoughts on it. It was just, it was amazing. I thought it was a masterpiece. Yeah. I, like I was, guess you'd give yeah. this a five as somebody you love Hollywood and you love anything yeah. with LA. So like, I yeah, of course. Yeah. Is, is, is that a Lynchian thing, by the way? Is he, is he a big fan of just, you know, street sign shots? Cause I noticed there was a couple in, in blue velvet. I, I noticed. Yeah. He does know. have a lot of Im, like um, images, just, imagery that he's obsessed with for sure. And that's he, one of them. Okay. Because just like from the, the two I saw, I was like, okay, this guy's got a thing for street signs, you know. Just one of the big ones I've noticed in all, almost all of his films is the the stripes on the street line, the street divider mm. lines, and like a moving car focusing on that, like a lower shot. Yeah, of that. yeah. He mm-hmm. has that in like all of his films. The first half of this film, I was, and it, it made me laugh after finishing it. Now I really, really <laughs> want to rewatch it, but I was just. I was really surprised because there was a lot happening where it was too casual and even just the, the, not just the acting, but just the way things are progressing. There was, it was almost just a bit of like a TV fantasy where, you know, Oh, like, you know, this lady moves into her aunt's apartment and Oh, big, you know, what a surprise. There's a naked girl in my shower who I don't know who the fuck this is. And it's totally okay. And, uh, and then even it gets, you know, wh- what else happens that is also just, there was just a lot like that happening where it was very surprising to me. And I just kept thinking, this is the movie everybody likes. I'm starting to like kind of feel nitpicky right now. And so when you kind of realize that this is, you know, her dream, even the part where she does go to parents, where she goes to, yeah, to audition, I was thinking, you know, these people, you know, these, these actors are giving kind of weird performances. Something feels off. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel, it's it doesn't totally feel like they're really trying. Yeah. And, and that's why I was thinking, I was like, why does everybody love this movie? I already have like a couple of gripes. And then when she does that audition and I'm thinking this audition is better acting than the actual acting in the movie. What's mm-hmm. happening. Because like, <laughs> mm-hmm. That, that audition that, was yeah. really, really good. It was, you know, mm-hmm. very, very uh, intimate and emotional. And I'm thinking, what the hell was that? Like, there's something going on here or I'm crazy. <laughs> but I remember, yeah, mm-hmm. once the second half picked up and the movie started to unravel a little bit, even then, I don't even think I knew. But obviously, when I started to look up stuff after and try to, mm-hmm. you know, piece together the film, 
uh, yeah, I was just laughing because I was like, that's actually kind of funny that I was thinking that. Um, it seems. I think at one point I said maybe this isn't the best first Lynch movie because that would maybe throw you mm-hmm. off at, a mm-hmm. long time ago because. Yeah, I remember thinking those same things, but because I was familiar with this stuff, I'm like, okay, this is all definitely on, on purpose because I, like most of his movies yeah. don't have the same. Even just the look of it, it's very like glowy and it's soft and it yeah. has this bloom mm-hmm. effect. So it's like giving you a hint. This is like almost soap opera-y and heavenly. It doesn't feel real. And then the performances are super forced. I mean, I think the biggest giveaway was at the airport with the the old couple sending her <laughs> off. And just yeah. how fucking corny and cheesy that was. I was like, this is definitely, <laughs> definitely like played up for effect. Um, but again, like if you're not used to Lynch, you don't know what to expect. I think all that stuff can feel like what, who, who is this guy? <laughs> like what? I, was what like, is people are, I don't know. I was surprised because it was, you know, the first half, it's it's a long movie. It's almost two and a half hours. And I was like, yeah. people are, I get the story might be good, but these performances are kind of killing me almost. You know? <laughs> but even but then it's like the story isn't even a typical story. Uh, yeah. You know, it's not even yeah. about the story. It's, it's there's a lot so of mystery many. there. And you know, yeah. it's, it's, it gets really interesting. Uh, even, you know, what are, the girls are, you know, hot, so that helps, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I was really, you know, wondering like, what the hell, uh, there's gotta be something that this, you know, that's going to happen. So, uh, mm-hmm. really, really fun though. Really fun to look back at. At least at the time I was definitely scratching my head a bit. Um, yeah at first i was too man i I just i think it was when things started to unravel in that third act i was like my jaw literally dropped i was like wait a minute i i've seen this a million times and (laughs) it was just so cool to like see it unravel it was you know it was just awesome and what i really liked about it too is that it was instead of norma desmond being this forgotten film actress like a superstar it was like this person that was like it was just much more realistic especially to today's hollywood she comes here and she's hopeful about you know being you know discovered and all that stuff but in reality it's a tough business and it's filled with heartbreak and you know even romantic heartbreak obviously and you know you want someone to hold on to and you know even that fails her and she kind of loses her fucking mind in, in in this film but it's the same exact thing but i really like that kind of difference there i just wanted to note that it was just so interesting that you know it was a coming up or yeah she was basically an actress that was unknown compared to norma desmond who was just a forgotten superstar in hollywood but yeah i I thought it was interesting i thought it was great basically the same exact story but i was blown away man so you know I, i really liked it i loved it actually how about you jay uh well i love this movie as well second watch blew me away loved it on a first watch it was an incredible experience but you know after doing some reading on it and what the kind of general like i said there's no full agreed upon answer to this movie and that's not the point because that's right, not the point yeah. of any of lynch's movies is like mm-hmm. it's all about what it means to you you know what whatever somebody exactly. can tell you a movie means doesn't necessarily change it for you um you know it won't it shouldn't satisfy you in that sense you should because he i think he's quoted on saying what you already know what Mulholland Drive means to you. You're just mm-hmm. you're just not satisfied with that. You want to look further and have somebody else tell you what it means. But that's how you're supposed to approach this film. It's like you've seen what is it saying to you, I guess. And obviously, there's still value in looking up theories and, and then things reveal themselves to you in a much clearer sense. So there's no there's no uh, shame in that at all because that's exactly what I did. I read upon after a first watch and I was really mm-hmm 
blown away with I, what I thought to be his intentions, at least. And even if it's not his intentions, it's like, well, that interpretation means something to me. And so, yeah, like Rich already said, like, and this is the theory that everybody goes by is that, you know, the first half or really two thirds is a dream, a dream sequence. She arrives in LA and there's all the, every single, every single detail, every single line of dialogue, every single scene serves some function into revealing this mystery, Mm -hmm. every single one. And you, and you only realize that on a rewatch, but it's like, holy shit. There's not, even though the scenes when you, on a first watch, they feel random, they feel out of order, they feel disconnected. And it's just like, it just feels like a stream of ideas that he thought of. And there's no real cohesiveness there. But after you reflect on it and realizing what it's it, what it is, it's like, oh shit, every single puzzle piece here yeah. serves some function. And even in the end, um, some of those puzzle pieces are kind of like justified, but then even the end leaves some extra puzzle pieces that require you to do some work after the movie. Um, so the general idea is that she, you know, she arrives in LA, she has this dream. Um, this is all like a opposite um in like effect of what she, what she's experienced in real life and what she her wish fulfillment angle like and the biggest hint that it's a dream is the you know the scene that's regarded as like the greatest jump scare in movie history with the homeless man behind the dumpster or the wall scared behind the, the restaurant. Shit out of you, dude that's the biggest hint that we're in a dream world because he's talking about a dream that he had that terrified yeah. him and then you know the fact that the the dream proves to be real that the monster proves to be real is like oh that was our first hint even though it feels random we never see those characters really again in some you know big way like that it's uh it's a telling like okay we're in this dream world and um there's all these little things like how in the quote-unquote real world which again i don't think the second half is even a dream either or i'm sorry i don't think it's real i think that's also a sort of a dream representation Mm -hmm. of, of things but you know, she interprets Camila, who's rejected her, into somebody who needs her, into somebody who doesn't know who she is and kind of like depends on her. She's helpless. She doesn't know her name. So she imagines that. She imagines that Hollywood, there's the the reason she doesn't get the parts is because there's these invisible forces, the powers that be that like mm-hmm. prevent her from getting the role. You know, there's these mo- the Hollywood mafia that comes in and is like, this is the girl. You can't pick anyone besides this. And, you know, it, it, it justifies why she doesn't get the part because if she if none of those things were a factor and if she you know didn't turn away from that other audition and all these things then she would have been the part because she obviously has everything that hollywood needs it's just they don't see it you know or there's all these other things so this is basically just a dream that justifies um you know the reality of Mm -hmm. her situation um and all of that is cool and all that is fun but i think after this watch and again, people have come up with the same ideas mm-hmm. is that it's not a love story. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. saying like, again, this is a this is a like a, a mirror, a magic mirror. You look in this movie and it shows you what you want to see. Just like how you obviously somebody who loves Sunset Boulevard, who's seen it a million times, you're going to look at this movie, which absolutely 100 percent does pay tribute and respect to Sunset Boulevard. Mm-hmm. I think that even the the dream theory that most people have is just surface level. And there's like another mm-hmm. layer underneath that actually like has some weight. So like, it's not just this love story where she's broken hearted um, by Camila and she's left and 
uh, rejected. And in the real world, she realizes she wants this director and, you know, this, this pain. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it is a type of love story, but it's not with a, any physical person. It's about her love of the idea of Hollywood mm. being corrupted. And what Camila represents is the basically the casting couch, the sleeping your way up to the top for success, which mm, never okay. is explicitly yeah. shown. But think about it. Why, you know, and this is during the time where like the Harvey Weinstein open secret was out only to people in the industry. But like, you know, why would this girl, this, you know, the, the mysterious girl that the mafia wants so bad, there's only one thing that could guarantee her that spot. It's not any like magical thing. I think like the cowboy decides that as well, but the cowboy also at first he represents like fate, like, cause he's like this abstract figure, right? And he just decides mm-hmm. what goes, he shows up and the lights come on at the end. The corral is also like at the end of Mulholland Boulevard or yeah, Mulholland drive, which sits underneath the Hollywood sign. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's like this ascension. Mulholland drive is essentially this road. That's an ascension to success, you know, for the actor. And that's where the cowboy resides. And so he will ultimately, he has final say of what goes and what doesn't. So he tells the right. director, he's like, you want money, you want success, then you'll have this girl be in your movie. Otherwise, I'll end you. I mean, he doesn't explicitly say that, but you get that vibe. Yeah. So, but it's like, what could possibly have, you know, give this girl the special treatment? And it's like, you think, you start to think about it. There's, there's hints in the second half that reveal that this girl absolutely slept her way with the top with those producers Mm -hmm. that are in the beginning she did sexual favors for them now camila did the same thing obviously with that director the main director you start to see that and it's not like camila like um like she's a literal person necessarily but that um she is the shortcut remember how she stops in the same very first scene where the accident happens, where the guy's about mm-hmm. to, you know, shoot her with a silencer. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Cam- yeah. The car stops. Camila comes down and she's like, "Hey, come this way. I, I know a shortcut. Mm-hmm. What shortcut? You know, what does that shortcut right, really yeah. mean?" They go to this party, and she starts to see, and like, there's all these little dialogue hints of like, "Oh, so I got cool. the part, but Camila really got the part that I wanted." Um, you know, and then the the uh, mom of the director gives a look like, mm-hmm. oh, she knows exactly what that means, that she got the part, you know, and, and she kind of pats her hand like, I'm sorry, like, I know what you had to do. So this right. Camila represents the idea of the actress being able to have sex with these directors and producers in order to get, you know, the roles and the fame and success that they want. And it's never yeah. explicitly told because it's supposed to be a secret. It's like a dirty secret. And... Mm-hmm. um you know, there, obviously there's a lot of guilt about that. She's always hiding from authorities, fear of how she'll be perceived. And it just starts to like become a lot more clear. And when she goes to the hitman, who again, that, that hitman in the dream, who he's a bumbling idiot, doesn't like actually get anything accomplished. <laughs> funny. He doesn't actually kill Camille. Yeah, well, yeah. Specifically with her wording, she never says what she wants him to do. She just shows him the picture of the girl. And mm-hmm. she says, this is the girl. And he's like, are you sure this is what you want? Yes, more than anything. The girl, she's saying, this is who I want to become, basically. This is who I want to be. I'll That's do interesting. anything. And she shows yeah. him money. You never see him with a gun. You see him earlier, right, though, yeah. talking to a, yeah. a prostitute as he's getting, he's a pimp. He reveals he's a pimp, even in the dream world. So she gives him money. He's like, okay, like, 
you know, once you get, once I get this money, like there's no going back. So she's basically selling her body out. She's selling herself out. She wants Mm -hmm. to become that girl. She'll sleep with whoever for that success. And that's when the guilt wins over the darkness takes over. That's the suicide because she feels all that guilt coming back. It's not a real suicide. I don't think, I think it's like, yeah, it's her like loss of her innocence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of who she used to be. And that's, Damn, that's, that's the cool. big secret. And there's the, you know, the Silencio nightclub. Think about it. Silencio silence. Mm-hmm. Don't talk about it. It's a, it's a secret. And there's all these symbolism, all the symbolism there that kind of, you know, it basically says like, sh- it's showing you the facade of Hollywood. They're, mm-hmm. they're lip singing. They're not actually do- playing any instruments. It's all recorded. It's a facade right, it's for yeah. show. And uh, even the singer who comes out and sings Yoranda, like she looks all beat up, you know, you could even argue she looks kind of like a prostitute and like the way she starts mm-hmm. singing, she's so sad. She's singing about, you know, how Hollywood, her love of it, like died, like she lost her love, like she's crying. So, you know, and then she's, she faints and she's carried off by men and it just realized, you realize like it's all a facade. So, I mean, that's again, another interpretation I'm not saying is the answer, but you know, I think a that's lot of people amazing. have come out and said like, that's what Lynch was trying to say. And he's kind of responded to it in kind of like a less, less than dismissive, not, not mm-hmm. as a dismissive way. I think he kind of has, has shaped, he's nodded his head to that. Like, yep. Yeah, yeah, I was like, cause people have said like, so you were kind of talking about the, you know, the me too stuff, even in the nineties with like Mulholland drive and stuff, or sorry, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And he was just mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, yep. So I think there is some acknowledgement that that is one of the themes that he was trying to talk. But again, like the movie can mean so, so much to you, even without that angle. Like to me, that Dude, angle that made it more interesting. Yeah. Was, more that just solidified. Other, yeah. yeah. It, that's how amazing the movie is it's sort of like and i described Damn. this to you before is like a uh it's like an anamorphic um sculpture you know when you see those mm-hmm. museums there's like all these like pieces of like just random plaster and debris that are hanging on invisible wire and mm-hmm. then it just looks like a floating explosion or something and it just looks like a clusterfuck and like a exhibit <laughs> but then when you walk in a certain when you walk in a certain uh to a certain area of a, and get a like a specific perspective on it it starts to it becomes an image it becomes like a clear image it's like oh but if you walk over here more to the left it becomes all random again and you walk more to that one spot and it's like oh shit it's like an image of this face or something and i feel like that's yeah. how this movie is where it's like you why you when you're first watching it it's all these jagged pieces that don't make any sense you know even on a second watch who knows like how many times but then once you get to this point where everything lines up, it's like, oh shit. And even when you think you've got it, it's like, oh, right, and if you walk underneath, it's also another image. So mm-hmm. this movie is just like amazing for that reason. Like it is, you can dissect it forever and ever. Like it is insanely deep in that sense. Yeah. So, and not, I think, oh, go ahead. No, I was saying it's just a lot of fun to talk about. I love talking about yeah. and Drive. Now I'm just like, gonna open it even more i think that was like you know obviously for me since i've watched sunset boulevard so many times it's like it spoke to me in that same level and i guess it's similar but i think what you said especially like losing her love for hollywood it's like this tainted reality of it you know she was mm-hmm. such a hopeful individual coming from the plane you know oh i'm gonna make it and stuff like i'm, I'm it's gonna be a great time like i've always wanted to come to los angeles that's what she says in the 
more like serious towards the end when she was like in the dinner with um the director and camila was there and her mom or the director's mom was there coco mm-hmm. and i think it, it's it just reminds me of that that woman i think i've told you before peg and whistle where she's just kind of like it's so many stories of that like so many people trying to come from different parts of the nation or even the world to come to hollywood and make it big because that's their dream it's something that they really want and then when they come to this city that's basically what happened i think it was in the 30s too or something like that or maybe in the 40s where she jumped off like the hollywood sign the yeah. H, and she killed herself because like you know it's that that pressure and that kind of losing that love for why you moved here or even just like your motivation of why did you move mm-hmm. here like do you really love this like do you really love this um like hollywood and what they do and what they create but if you dig dig deep into it it's like the reality of it is like this very tainted and disgusting and just very sad (laughs) reality of you know how you get these parts or even just you know make it big sometimes i mean it's no mystery honestly it's not a surprise either i mean you would be naive to think but i think that's really cool like i didn't think of it in a way where it was like a figurative suicide you know like Mm -hmm. she kind of sold herself out and i think that makes a lot more sense and it's even more Lynchian, and I think it's even better from what I initially thought just watching it the first time today. But mm-hmm. that's just like it opens up even more, and I think that's like even better for me to to think about it in that way. So, yeah, you just blew me away, man. <laughs> that dude, that's why you got you can just watch his movies once. Like, yeah, I thought can. I had it all figured out after I read about this after a first watch. And a second watch, just like boom, the layer, another layer just revealed itself. And right, who knows? Yeah. Like when I watch it again, like what else might reveal itself? Because it's one of those movies. Again, there's certain movies too that are not necessarily as um, cryptic and like maze-like. Um, that still will change meaning because you as a person have changed and your perspective has changed. You know, and mm-hmm. but this is one of those movies that is maze-like, can have different meanings, and as you get older, will become more relevant in certain ways and. You know, yeah, like the the Entwistle story, you know, who people obviously the story is that she did it because she was losing roles or she wasn't getting any roles. Yeah, but like I think there's a picked. deeper again, you gotta go deeper than that. Just like this movie is like right. Like, yeah. Why did she really quote unquote put the hit out on that girl? Do we really mm-hmm. know that she did that? Is she did it be I mean it always, I always found it far fetched, like she just put her a hit out on this girl that she loved or she yeah. was jealous. And I was like, that's like, a little bit of a jump. It right. does make more sense. That she was not putting a hit out on her, but she was saying, like, I want to be this girl. I'll do anything. I'll pay anything to be this girl. That's, I think, what the movie's really about is just this kind of, like, obviously losing yourself, trying to climb this ladder of success in Hollywood, but, like, at what cost? You know, what cost? And, and, mm-hmm. and, that, and the fact that this meaning is so hidden that you have to do more work to uncover it it speaks to how the you know the level of the secrecy of this aspect of Hollywood of just mm-hmm. at least at, at the time now it's now everybody knows but at the time it's like you couldn't outright say that and Lynch found a way to like layer it and layer it and layer it and layer it <laughs> so that it's there Genius. in plain sight yeah I mean I, I'm glad that you got the Sunset Boulevard because I certainly didn't I'm not like a Sunset Boulevard head like you so like I was able to I think there were some basic connections that I drew, but there are probably mm-hmm. even more details that you were able to find. And that yeah. could make sense. Like this is a sunset Boulevard interpretation and you're probably not far off because he did want this to be a sort of like his take on that. But yeah. again, he's, you know, his, he's not somebody who simply adapts. He is always going to put himself 
first in right. his vision. He's always loyal to himself above anything else. He'll take ideas here and there, but his voice will come through stronger than anything. Mm-hmm. And so like his expression, like I think Mulholland, or I'm sorry, Sunset is speaking of the, you know, the Hollywood darkness for that time or what, what people were able to talk about during right, that yeah. time. It was like a reality check of yeah. you know, what was is, going on. This is the modern version of that. This is like, no, let's go deeper. Basically. This and it's like, even, yeah. Because for me now, it almost jumped from a five to a six. I, I can't even do that. But like, honestly, it's just insane. <laughs> like the I detail, mean. like even the small details of like, you know, obviously the lot, the car, and even like the revolver. She killed herself with the revolver. I mean, Norma Desmond, she literally says, I bought a revolver. Like, mm-hmm. you don't think I can do it, right? And then mm-hmm. she kills um, Joe Gillis with that revolver in the end. So mm-hmm. it's like, even those small details is just amazing. And and I wanted to just like point it out there that Diane is literally both either Joe Gillis and Norma Desmond at the same time. Like she's a person that's basically Joe Gillis trying to make it in this industry, no matter what it takes. He stumbles upon Norma Desmond and he's just like, oh, this is my ticket kind of like, you know, I get to live freely and, you know, she takes care of me. She's kind of my, my sugar mama, but like, at least I get like a lot of money. I get all the things that I've always wanted, all the nice clothes and all that stuff. And that's basically her climb to the top as well. Like do whatever it takes to make it to the, or to live that life that we want or that Hollywood life that we were all dreaming. The reason why everyone comes to Hollywood or LA or a lot of them at least, you know? So it's really cool. And she's also just Norma Desmond, like mentally, emotionally, like she's insane. She's a fucking nut job. And you know, and it's also kind of cool that like I don't know that she's insane, but I mean Norma Desmond. To, no, not Norma, but the main character in Mulholland Drive. Oh, okay. I yeah. think she's well. I mean, at least she's at driven least to a point of yeah. She, yeah, because again, if you're thinking about her as an obsessive lover, then that could be argued. But if you're thinking about her as somebody who just wanted success and had to yeah. prostitute herself for that, she was like attached to that I, idea. I think she's more of a victim than like you know an, mm-hmm. out, an outwardly like. Uh, well i mean would you say that norma desmond is also a victim of like oh 100 people forgetting yeah you know so she's a victim of the system as well yeah yeah she's a victim she's insane i don't know kind of what you said if you don't believe some people you said speculated that it's not a dream Mm -hmm. Uh, you could consider her twisted reality i guess where that would the first part i think is certainly a dream the second part is maybe a little more can argue i think that's a, still a representation of her reality not not necessarily because yeah. again yeah i think there's still certain elements there that make it uh still dreamlike so mm-hmm. i don't know I, I think yeah again it could just mean anything like i i think at first i could i consider her insane i think that there's some level of like psychosis going on there but i see her as much more of a victim and, and right. especially if you're viewing that scene where she quote unquote puts the hit out as not her putting a hit on on somebody, but her selling her body to achieve that dream. And again, remember the scene where Camila's she they're having sex in her apartment. If she's supposed to represent the casting couch, which again they're literally on a couch, um, she tells her like, "I don't think we could we should do this anymore." And that's like basically like the representation of the casting couch method being like, "All right, we're done here. Like mm. your 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 time to climb the ladder through sex is over." You know, right, this yeah. this benefited you for so long. You got all these parts because, again, she says at that dinner table at the party, she's like, oh, she helped me get a few rolls. And the mom look, gives her that look like pats her on the hand. Very deliberate shot. Pats mm-hmm. her on the hand. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Or something like that. You know, like 
it's a very like clear like oh that's how you got the roles got it Damn, you know, this movie's fucking insane so it's like that is a representation of the casting couch being like all right your time's up your 15 minutes are up you know and and you know we don't need you anymore we don't so we don't see any value in, in your body anymore. So it's a, mm-hmm. you know, I, I start to view her more as a victim and less of like an insane, I guess, Jealous. I guess insane just sounds derogatory, I suppose. But I, I, I get what you what you mean. You know, I have a question then. Mm-hmm. What did you interpret as the masturbation scene where she was like just masturbating by herself and she was kind of like going in and out of consciousness? Because like for me, I thought she was like kind of coping with the fact that her lover wasn't there anymore but obviously yeah. that's i think it's, it's dual it's meaning now well it's i think what? i think it's dual meaning i think it's what you just said like you know coping with yeah. the lack of a lover and you can't do it and it's like mm-hmm. it's like a kind of a sad masturbation a loneliness and she's craving her but i also mm-hmm. think it could mean it's like you know she can't you she's basically essentially for lack of a better term she's fucking herself you can't mm, fuck yourself okay, okay, to okay. the top. You have to fuck someone else to get to the top. Damn. So without that method of like fucking, you know, casting, couching your way to success, she she lost that. So she's like, you know, she can't get there anymore. Like it's a dead end road. You know, it has now jumped from six to a seven out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't even know if that's it's true. But like, this that's is just still stuff, fucking amazing. Yeah, like, like, to like just even have a conversation about that. Yeah. Oh yeah, Damn. it's one of the best movies to talk about. It's like, it's insane. You know, once you open the box, it's just like unending. Yeah, this movie is so Fuck. rewatchable. It's all, yeah, it's impossible to not give it a second watch, especially if yeah. you, know, you do have all these just bits and pieces of like, what the fuck do I make of this? And watch then, it again. It's like yeah, insane. It, it's got to be like I would only imagine any watch after there, or every watch just feels more coherent, or you get something more out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even because the... there's there's tons of just you know insight to be had. You know the more you try to analyze it, I feel like even you guys explaining it to me, it just makes me want to kind of just jump back into the film and see what I could, you know, fit in more. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go ahead and I'll give blue velvet a five for me. This it's been a five, um, still a five and Mulholland drive has moved up from a 4.5 to a five Mm. on this watch for sure. For sure. I'm so glad it did because like part of me was like, really like, hoping that it would show something new to me and mm-hmm. oh boy it really did <laughs> i was like oh yeah there it is there it is so they're both fives from lynch not a surprise that's my boy and, for real uh, yeah just, i mean you know, i would give it a blue velvet i would have to rewatch but i'd probably bump it up to a 4.5 after this talk <laughs> i would have to rewatch just to be a little bit more secure on that but i gave it i think a 4.25 the first time i did Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, obviously Mulholland is a five, if not a seven for me. It's Damn. Just... Jumping up. <laughs> still out of jump, that's technically like what? Four levels. Cause it's like, it would go 5.5, <laughs> then six, then 6.5, then seven. And then by that's your crazy. fractions, it's yeah. like 5.25, <laughs> 5.75. So that's a lot. That's like just one yeah. conversation can shoot. It, it just up. built on one of my favorite movies and then elevated the depth. I agree. Of it. So I mean, like, I love Sunset Boulevard too, but like Mulholland is like the one, the story of Hollywood that really speaks to me because it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like there's so much it's saying. It, it's amazing. It's a, it's a just a craft that is beyond my comprehension. Like mm-hmm. a Rubik's cube that David Lynch like invented a new Rubik's cube of cinema. Like it's just like <laughs> whoa, how do you even do that? Um, yeah, 
I agree. How about you, Rich? What's your reviews or your ratings well, on these two? I can't. Movies? I can't properly fully review these until I, you know, actually watch them. But like you said, you know, just talking about it with you guys, it elevates my opinion of these films even more, and it makes me enjoy, you know, what I mm-hmm. just saw looking back. But um, they're definitely both, you know, they have to be somewhere between the mid to high fours or just a five. So um, I respect yeah, it. But Whoa, come on. You got you can't give a vague answer. Give us a concrete <laughs> four and a half just because I need to rewatch it and improve. Yeah, my, I, I respect your, that. your safety net ensuring yourself that it's a four. And well, a half again, bro, like I'm telling you, I saw these movies at first and I was like, all right, like, yeah, like there's some dude, there, you went bro. back to back on like like these two lynch movies and that's a lot especially like how mm. deep i don't think it was the best thing to do before the day of recording but, <laughs> yeah recording um, this yeah but uh but yeah no i know these are really good and i just didn't fully grasp everything right off the bat especially with and drive i definitely mm-hmm. enjoyed blue velvet more uh, yeah i was gonna ask which one connected with you off the bat more and for me blue velvet off the bat connects with me more i think on this watch, Mulholland Drive is growing on me. Yeah, yeah. Just it's more straightforward least, for yeah. sure. So uh, I like that one a lot. A lot more over Mulholland Drive, I guess, if you're going to talk about just initial first mm-hmm. viewings. All right, that's enough for Lynch. Uh, what else did we watch this week? Uh, Jer, I know that I saw you watch Jurassic World Dominion. How'd you mm-hmm. feel about that? Uh, Well, I... Uh, I saw it in the theater, obviously. I well, had no, no choice. Well, tell us how, how did you, did you choose to watch this film? I willingly? did, but it was completely free. Oops. I'm, I know you thought that it was a Stubbs deal. And you thought I torture myself. I'm curious to know why. Well, for one, Stubbs isn't free. You're paying 20 bucks a month to see free movies. So how did you get it for free? I just got it for free because my friend's boss had bought out a whole theater to watch the movie. And oh, nice. uh, she had, and they had extra tickets. So I'm like, hell yeah! And oh, here's the real kicker: free unlimited popcorn. Uh, you know me. If there's one thing that can entice me to go to the movies, it's free popcorn. So I was already like, I don't care what I'm seeing. You know, I didn't have any expectations. Like to say low expectations is kind of saying too much. I think I had like zero expectations for this movie, but I didn't care because it's like you know. It's free. Mm-hmm. It's going to the movies. It's popcorn, you know, and that's uh, watching it with, you know, I don't know, did watching you- it with a friend. Yeah. Watching yeah. It with a friend. And, uh, you know, I never been to this theater either. Um, it's kind of cool. Thing I love is that the bag, they give you the bag of the popcorn and you fill it up yourself. So I didn't have to overfill it like they do. I nice. filled it up to my to level. I buttered it as much as I want. Coupon or whatever and lie yeah. to the, you know, clerk. <laughs> I don't have to be the guy who's like, oh, can you put a lot of butter? I hate saying that, but it's like what I want to say. <laughs> and just extra butter. I just I just feel like a little bit of my soul dies. when. Do I they not have the that. butter machines for you? Well, they do. But but at this other theater, actually, the AMC, they have to butter it for you. They don't have the outside butter machines for some reason. I know a lot of theaters do, but the AMC that I go to doesn't. Uh, so... But this one, they have not only you serve your popcorn, but you butter it as well. You salt it as well. It's all DIY, which is perfect. That is how I want it because of the last time what happened. Now, this is a theater review at this point. (laughs) This always, yeah. I mean, my theater experiences, you know, they 
they matter. Their journey, and I promise you, the theater journey is way more interesting than the movie, anyway. So take that what you will. But uh, the I get to the inside of the theater, um, completely rented out, which is kind of a cool vibe. I've never been in a like rented out theater where like everybody knows each other because everyone's just kind of like talking through the trailers and it's like yeah no biggie you know because who cares and everyone knows each other you can kind of be a little you know rambunctious and Mm uh and the guy uh the the guy who bought the tickets for everybody he rented it out and um he came in with a backpack he smuggled in candy he's a fucking candy smuggler he had his whole backpack full of like m&ms reese's pieces sour patch kids he was just handing them out to everybody even me i didn't even know the guy i was like oh cool i mean so he handed my friend M&M's and then she was like, what else do you got? And then they know each other. And um, obviously, so she could ask him, like, what else do you got? He's like, I got Reese's Pieces. Now, if you know me, you know the Reese's Pieces or anything Reese's really is my favorite. Reese's is the best candy, hands down. I don't want to hear it. Reese's is the best and second best Reese's Pieces. Um, but after she gets her Reese's Pieces. I like M&M's. Let's go you, dude. I just well, wanted you're not gonna like this next part <laughs> um he's like well since you got the Reese's Pieces do you want the M&M's and I'm like yeah yeah sure why not it's free candy but then as I think about it it's like damn I really wanted Reese's Pieces and I was like maybe there was no more in the bag that's fine but then I kind of saw his bag as he's moving down the aisle and I'm like dude there's another Reese's Pieces but now it's too late now I can't be like um actually can you uh <laughs> can I trade for the Reese's piece, I'm not going to do that. Although I did think about it for probably too long. I was like, is it too awkward? Is it too late? Should I just, should I offer the trade? I'm sure he'd be cool with it, but it's just one of those things. I don't, I don't know the guy well enough to offer a Reese's for M&M's trade. So I ate the M&M's, but they were good. They were good. M&M's are good. Peanut Reese's. M&M's or just M&M's M&M's? Just M&M's. That sucks. Right. <laughs> yeah. Who the fuck? No one has yeah, peanut. Exactly. M&M's sucks. You, now you're on my side. Anyway, Sorry, I mean, I'm they're a, fine. Peanut they're... M&M's, uh, you know, whore. So, you know, those are better. Those are better for sure. See uh, a protein and chocolate out of it, you know. But um, wait, also, I you have to look, I figure if you run out like a theater, you know, be bring your own candy. You know, I, I feel kind of I would feel weird if it's the idea that you're smuggling in candy is, you know, a thing because you, well, run, they, if you run out a, a theater. Come on. There's a I guess big sign that says food. no outside food or drink. They're pretty I serious guess. about it. Yeah, it's I like on every single sense. door. I, you know, it's Give technically the guy smuggling. Out the, theater, the guy's though. technically a criminal. Is he a bigger criminal than me for getting free popcorn and drink every time I go to the AMC? Or buying like $7 candy? I don't know. Like that's the real crime in my opinion. Yeah. But. Well, um, um, I will say uh, there's definitely. Hey, again, to the movie. Tell us about this. Yeah. So again, had zero expectations. I saw the first Jurassic World of this trilogy that with Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard. I saw that one years ago. Um, Forgot pretty much everything about it. I remember it being not not amazing, just fine, I guess. But borderline mm-hmm. not good. Just mm-hmm. I don't think it was that impressionable. Not great. And then there's one after that, I guess. I haven't seen that one. Don't really know shit about it. And then there's this one uh, that's the, supposed to be it's being compared to as the rise of Skywalker of the Jurassic Park movies, um, which I haven't seen the rise of Skywalker, but I somehow have, have a feeling that that's accurate. Um, it just kind of 
Well, it brings back the original cast, and uh, it's it's a legacy sequel, a legacy sequel, which there's a lot of these days. And you know, you got to bring back these old bags of bones for a paycheck, and they act like they don't want to be there, and it's just that whole deal. But um, pretty much as soon as it started, I kind of knew what I was in for. I didn't realize it was going to be 146 minutes, though. Wait, can I ask? Can Damn. I ask why they chose this movie? Um, just you know, who was who was really into you know this movie? Like, whose choice was this? Was this? Well, the, I'm assuming the guy, but like, guy you know, I don't out. blame the the guy. I mean, it's Jurassic guess, Park, know, and he had kids with him. Movie. Too. He okay. had kids. That's this the biggest just, thing. This isn't just you know. I don't know what the actual. Yeah, the, there were kids there though. I mean, kids love dinosaurs. Although I will say, this movie doesn't love dinosaurs. The dinosaurs in this were so boring. This movie was pretty boring. The most fun that I had watching it was making fun of it, shitting on it with my friend. Uh, that was, and, and then when I decided to behave myself and just kind of like, all right, like let's just soak this in. It was just dreadful. I feel like it was just so, I, I just felt so disconnected and like <laughs> there was, there was, it wasn't that I didn't know what was going on. Cause it was, they introduced this new plot thing where instead of, I guess they start off with the premise that dinosaurs have taken over, right? They take over the world. They're all, it's basically mm-hmm. what the biggest fears of the first one have finally it's been. It's basically, realized. that's like planet of the apes, isn't it? Like, you know, it's the new planet of the apes. They don't do anything with that. It starts out with that. And then all of a sudden these like giant locusts are introduced and those are the bad guys. And it turns into this whole thing where it's like Tim cook from fucking apple is the bad guy straight up. And he's like the owner of this corporation that also owns the dinosaurs, but he also owns everything else. He's like Monsanto basically. And he, he created the locust to kill crops so that he could sell his crops. I mean, are you not bored yet of me explaining this fucking bullshit? Like, <laughs> what, say, really? what is, how does that relate? Okay, Dude, I, don't know. I don't know, but it, you know, there's one, one to kill crops, sentence. to make money or something. Is this just like a money making scheme? Dude, don't, that I, bad, big you're bad already guys. Making, trying to make more sense <laughs> of it than I did. There's one thing that I could say. Uh, anything one, redeeming. Yeah. Well, there's just one sentence review, and it's actually by uh, Jeff Goldblum's character in the original Jurassic Park, Dr. Ian Malcolm. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly how I feel about the movie. That is one big pile of shit. <laughs> and uh, you know, <laughs> iconic moment, iconic scene. It was, yeah, I mean, that's basically the best way to describe the movie. Uh, really long, really bloated, uh-huh. a lot of shit that had nothing to do with dinosaurs in it. It, at times it reminded me of like low budget sci-fi channel movie, um, but with actual a big budget, if that makes sense, like high budget sci-fi channel movie, like you mm-hmm. know, the performances are bad and the script is bad and they, it's uninspired, but they actually have money clearly. But I still didn't think the effects were that impressive. Um, and I heard that they weren't even using like very little CGI on the dinosaurs. It was like mostly like puppets, I guess, or like animatronics. Uh, there were puppets, but I would still say there's plenty of boring CGI as well. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Mm. There was also, I mean, really the only things about this movie that weren't like completely just like mind-numbingly boring were, unfortunately, I still hated them, but they still caught my attention because I'm a huge fan of the original were all mm-hmm. the callbacks to the first movie. Oh, and okay. there were so many in this one. It was kind of getting ridiculous. It was like, oh my God, dude. Like every turn, they just want to do that. They just want to have 
some like, you know, Oh, remember that? Remember when he says this? And it was just, it was getting to the point where I was kind of losing it. Just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that makes sense to expect <laughs> just because yeah, it's like, Oh, you see Lord bringing the entire, yeah. The, the original cast back. It's like everything though. Oh, like he's it's... waving the fucking flare in the air to get the fucking T-Rex's attention or they're hiding behind the car as it's spinning around or Laura Dern stands up and she's, you know, taking her glasses off as she sees the Brontosaurus. It's just, oh my God, it's so fucking cool. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was getting annoying. Without saying who lives or dies in mm-hmm. this movie, I will say that all I know for sure is that they did kill the souls of the actors that they brought back to be in this movie. <laughs> the soul. Like Sam, Sam Neill, oh, Laura Dern. Jeff Goldblum, I think, is the only one who made it out okay because he, he kind of carried the movie and it's still not that great. But um, Sam Neill was just like, he couldn't, he was just Sam Neill. He wasn't, you know, anything. He was just a man, t- trademark man. And then uh, Laura Dern was like kind of trying, but just still bad. Like there were still moments where I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. God, that delivery. Did they just do that after? Was that just the first take? And that was like, all right, let's move on. And yeah, it was just, I don't know. No one seemed. Okay. Well, this makes sense. The director of, you know, Dominion, Jurassic World Dominion was a writer for The Rise of Skywalker. Um, Well, which adds up. (laughs) So, yeah, that that makes sense. There you go. There's a little fun fact for you uh, listeners. He's officially dismantled two franchises. Well, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> Jurassic Park was fucking toast after a long time. I never. I, I enjoyed the first. Uh, the, yeah, I guess the, true, the first though, one yeah. of this trilogy, Jurassic World. The yeah, Jurassic that was. World. It was like I fun, it was and like, it was enough nostalgia. I, I will put so that just in like the Force same. Awakens. Yeah, exactly. I will put that yeah, in the same yeah. exact class as Force Awakens because Force Awakens was mm-hmm. fun. It's just one of those franchises. Like, why do there need to be so many? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't really care if you know the first one with Chris Pratt was good. I mean, because. It shouldn't that shouldn't have never happened because the one before it should have never happened. And it's just I don't know. That's how I feel with a lot of these like Terminators, another example. Like, why are there so many of those? Like when's the last Would you say Alien is in that category or no? Yeah, for sure. It's just one of those things, one of those friends, like why did it need to go? Obviously the answer is money, but mm-hmm. for, if I really want to talk about the story and the you know a, a franchise and and what's redeemable about it. it's like i just wish it ended sooner <laughs> you know <laughs> i just wish it got it's you know it got to go out peacefully but they bludgeoned it to the ground they made dinosaurs boring and uh yeah i mean oh with that being said i haven't checked it out yet but i am really excited for there's an apple tv dinosaur it's not a documentary it's just... I actually heard that was pretty good it looks really, really uh, exciting from the just the preview I saw for it. Um, I don't have Apple TV yet, but you know that kind of makes me want to get it. Um, Is there anything else you guys watched throughout the week? I think I yeah I rewatched Top Gun again, and I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to make which it Top Gun <laughs> you got to say Maverick, like, bro Top Gun Maverick. All right, all right. And you know, without getting too far into it, I'll just say you know it did. You know, it was fun, but I th- I think some performances just kind of felt, you know, I noticed that they w- didn't hit as hard for me the second time. My- mm. Specifically, I think the only one I'm really going to get at is Miles Teller. Uh, what? What? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. Miles Teller just didn't actually do it for me the second time. 
I think I was still kind of just wowed by, you know, the movie itself watching the first time that I just Did you still love the beach scene? Uh, the beach scene still slapped. Yeah. So Hell yeah. That's I, what I'm talking I don't know, about, bro. Dude. I think you need to go to the beach and listen to some music and just not think about <laughs> it. <laughs> well, I just reject your hypotheses. So, yeah. I don't know why. Miles Teller just kind of seemed like a bit of, uh, I guess, a brat. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. man, that shit happened like 30 years ago. Let it go. Your dad's long gone. Um, so I don't know. That was the only thing. But uh, other than Top Gun Maverick, I think... No, I didn't rewatch anything else, really. All right, guys, that will do it for this week. Don't forget, you guys can follow us at Letterbox. My name is Raymond, and my Letterbox is at Ray, R-A-Y, Amparo, A-M-P-A-R-O. And my name is Jeremy. You can follow me at Spaced, S-P-A-C-E-D, Cowboy, C-O-W-B-O-Y. And my name's Richard, and you could follow me uh, at Dick Visco, D-I-C-K-V-I-S-C-O. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Well, apparently it got really bad because there was an interview where everything was going normally and like all of a sudden he just like started to sing like Elvis. What? Yeah, it was fucking weird. I have a... Did they ask him to sing? No, he just started to sing. Like, I have a clip of Did his eyes roll back really quick before he like (laughs) went Elvis? I don't even think he needs to... Do that. He just did you did you see it? No, I have a clip of it right here. Okay, play it right now. Wise men say only fools. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? Is this you? This is him. Can't help but fall into Shut the sky down, man. Dude, I'm going to add home soundboards right for pieces of shit moments like this that he pulls out of. (laughs) Dude, I don't know what you're talking about. That was totally him. That was. Okay, so you just gave us the one around. I'm hitting your butt down.